What's up, everyone? And welcome to episode 10 of the Reunion NFF7R podcast. I am your host, Kairosis. And joining me again today, I have my incredible co-host, Viz. How are you, Viz? Oh, I'm great, thanks. And no symptoms so far. I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? I'm doing well. I'm surviving um, with the whole, you know, social um, distancing thing that's going on. Um, I've been pretty much inside for about seven days. Like I I took a few breaks. Like I went outside and went for a walk with my dog, Um, but I haven't seen anybody in quite some time. So I'm just trying to, I guess, do my part to help you know, not spread the yeah, virus of course, yeah. and stuff. So yeah, I'm glad that you're doing well. I'll try to do the same. Yeah. Well, I'm an introvert and usually also a, a recluse a little bit. So I'm usually inside anyways. It doesn't really change much for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I understand. I'm a little bit of both. I'm like on the weekends when I'm off work, when I'm not working, I do like to stay in a lot. But then during the week I am out doing like things, you know, just yeah. running errands, but also just socializing with friends and stuff like that. So I'm finding it really hard because that's kind of gone now. So <laughs> just yeah. been socializing online and Discord and stuff. So it's been really great, um, especially too in our podcast community, just being on the Discord server uh, for the podcast and chatting with everybody and also on the Cosmo Canon Observatory channel. Everybody's been so great and it really does help connect everybody yeah. so that we feel, you know, not as alone, I guess. Oh, definitely. It's a really nice bunch. It's, I, I love it here. This community is just great, like both of our communities, mm-hmm. which overlap in some cases. Mm-hmm. So if you guys don't already know, Viz is the creator of the Cosmo Canyon Observatory YouTube channel. So he does incredibly detailed analysis videos on pretty much every piece of media or info that we get about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. So uh, Viz, why don't you take a second to just explain a little bit more about what you do? Yeah. So for those who don't already know, as Carosa said, I own Cosmic Canyon Observatory YouTube channel. I've uh, been a YouTuber for quite a while, but barely known by anybody until I started doing Final Fantasy VII Remake videos in 2017. And now I specialize in very detailed analysis videos. I try to cover as many material, as many footage, screenshots, what have you, as I can. It's sometimes not easy because there's so much, especially uh, Mm -hmm. in the last nine or ten months. And we've also started to post regular analysis images and fun facts on our Twitter, which is at CC underscore observatory, or just search for Cosmic Canyon Observatory, should work too. And yeah, those uh, are pretty well liked. We've gained some followers, especially Mm -hmm. uh, because of some fun facts of the original which barely anyone knows. So it's pretty cool to foster the community and spread knowledge. Really nice. And I'm so looking forward to playing the game and seeing how this channel, where this channel goes with this. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to take a second and say thanks so much for obviously being a part of the podcast. I really appreciate it, especially, you know, with everything that you're doing. And it's a lot of hard work. And I do understand how much time and effort goes into, you know, creating everything that you do create. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you for the appreciation. And just uh, for a reference, today and yesterday, like whole day, practically only dedicated to CCO. So I just can't stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right, guys. So I just want to go ahead and shout out to everybody that's listened and subscribed to the podcast so far. We're super appreciative of everybody taking the time out to actually listen and spread the word about the podcast. I just want to remind everybody that we are giving away a copy of the Final Fantasy VII Remake to one lucky listener. Um, So it was supposed to be a physical deluxe edition copy of the game, and I was going to ship it to... um, the recipient, but unfortunately with everything that's happening, especially, um, you know, with retail stores being shut down and then also it's put a strain on the shipping system, like our mailing system. So I really thought that we should change the giveaway and actually give away a digital deluxe uh, copy of the game to one lucky listener. So, uh, here's what you have to do. Okay. So what you have to do is you have to like, and subscribe on any of the podcast platforms that you use to listen to podcasts, leave us a five-star rating and write us a text review. So obviously some of the podcast apps that are out there do not have a rating system. So if that's the case, for you, what I want you to do is go over to our YouTube channel. You can like any one of our um, podcast videos there. You can sub our YouTube channel and leave a comment on any of the videos that we have on our YouTube channel. So for our first segment today, we are going to be talking about the recently released Inside Final Fantasy VII Remake Episode 1 introduction video that was released on Monday, March the 16th. It was an official Square Enix video that they released. Um, it featured behind-the-scenes look at, I guess, the creation of the remake and the developer team. We will be giving our opinions on the video and basically we'll be breaking down the video and discussing the new scenes and new info that we got from that video. Square Enix also posted a new article on their press site featuring new screenshots. We will be dissecting those and giving our opinion on those as well. Our second segment, we will be talking about the five new Japanese TVCMs that were like short teaser trailers that were released um, to the Square Enix Japan YouTube channel. Obviously, we will be having a spoiler-free conversation about those videos because one of the videos had something crazy spoilery in it. So, As well, we will be talking about uh, E3 being canceled and what that means for Square Enix going forward. And also, we'll be discussing the Road to PS5 presentation that we got and Amazon shipment uh, issues with the Final Fantasy VII Remake. All right, so our first thing, we are talking about the Inside Final Fantasy VII Remake Episode 1 introduction video. So just a recap of the video, it is a 22-minute long video. It featured interviews from the Final Fantasy VII Remake team, like I just said, so including director Kataze, we had Nomura in there, Hamaguchi, who's the co-director of game design and programming. We had Nojima, uh, story and scenario, Toriyama, Endo, uh, who's a battle director, Kawamori, Suzuki, Hamazu, uh, composer, Miyaki, and environment director. We had pretty much everybody on the whole team just kind of give their outlook on, I guess, the creation of the game and what they, kind of their priorities going into the creation of the game and what they wanted to put into the game and hope that we interpret when, I guess, when we, when we play the game, right? It's similar to the developer interview that we got, actually, that was posted to the Square Enix uh, website, I think, a few months ago. Um, Some of the things that were in that we did talk about on a previous episode. They also addressed some concerns that people had about the game being split into multiple parts, or the length of the Midgar portion of the game um, being so short in the original, and then 
obviously people are been on online just talking about how it's going to be kind of similar. Like how can you pack so much extra stuff into just that beginning portion of the original game that was so short? In my opinion, I really like this format, what they're doing. I'm assuming that they're going to be releasing new episodes in this series um, in the future, I guess, leading up to the game's release. Do you think that we're going to get a new episode like once a week or what do you think, Viz? Hard to say, but once a week sounds about right, I guess. Or maybe episode one is before the release, episode two maybe on release, and episode okay. three or something after. Maybe talking about more spoilery stuff that they won't, don't want to release before. Mm-hmm. Although regarding spoilers, I don't think they, they really care, as we've seen in the TV series. Well, I haven't seen it, of course. Or, of course, I'm glad I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but I've heard that it's extremely spoilery, as you said, and I'm keeping the heck away from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate what they're doing with this series more than how it was handled, like Final Fantasy XV was handled, where they gave live updates, but it was kind of daunting because there were so many live updates. And a lot of the times, like they were, they were so um, common and there were so many that it was hard to kind of find new information like that was yeah. released and it just it felt like it was, it was too much. Yeah. So yeah, I do definitely. appreciate the restraint with giving us little tidbits of information here and there um, throughout the whole process uh, right up to the release, basically. I also like how they, it, it is edited. It is uh, well thought through, but the uh, in case of Final Fantasy 15, Hajime Tabata and his, uh, what was it, marketing director or something like that? Mm-hmm. They uh, made it kind of live, I think. Live, but recorded was a weird, right. weird format. But uh, yeah, some sometimes uh, Tabata uh, went on a tangent or maybe revealed a bit too much info. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah, was a bit too much. But here, if they keep this going like this and try to show not real spoilery scenes, just a bit, little bit more, uh, more of a look at what's to come, like environments and stuff, mm-hmm. without actually giving the cool stuff away that we want to uh, enjoy yeah. and experience for ourselves. Could be good. Looking mm-hmm. forward to the next ones. I just hope that it doesn't drop like uh, on the day I finished, uh, finished the first video because uh, there's uh, still have. A video planned for the screenshots, video planned for the uh, this documentary. Might break those up and release them uh, maybe one or two days from each other. And I hope I get those done before they drop the next one. So <laughs> This always happens to us, though, because we record for the podcast a new episode. And then, like, the next day, usually on the Monday or Tuesday, something happens. And oh, yeah. then we have to report on it like after. <laughs> so <laughs> two weeks later. <laughs> exactly. But tomorrow is Monday, so we might get another one tomorrow. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, let's let's hope not. Or otherwise I'll be just crushed with content to cover. <laughs> might have to do stuff just just live, get it out, and I don't know. Let's see. Mm-hmm. So we are talking about our thoughts on the um, introduction video uh, behind the scenes. So for me, I thought that the time and effort that they put into balancing the old and the new is amazing, basically. And I think that it's going to be nostalgic enough for older players who play the original, but also new enough to attract new players to the series. And I'm just, I I just can't wait to play this game now. Um, (laughs) 
I appreciated their individual stories. I thought it was so cool to hear about the time and care that they took putting into every decision that they made for this game. Um, it really goes to show how much they care about the game as well as how much they respect the original material, right? No, definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just pulled some interesting quotes that I thought that I would share. So Kataze says that uh, the reason that they decided to return to Final Fantasy VII was because of the 25th anniversary of Final Fantasy um, back in 2012. He said that it was a good time to kind of reflect on the future of Final Fantasy as a series. And he also thought about what Final Fantasy games that he could make in the time left that he has uh, left in his career. Uh, when he went to Nomura and Hashimoto to talk about basically that he wanted to to make the Final Fantasy VII remake, they were kind of their reaction was kind of like, "Are you serious?" Like, <laughs> and obviously yeah. he says that they obviously agreed. So this kind of gives evidence that you know there were workings in the background the entire time, basically because remember when they released the tech demo for the PS3 and there was that scene where it had like. It was basically the opening for Final mm-hmm. Fantasy VII, but in PS3 graphics. So I think that that really was at the time when they were kind of thinking about maybe like after they made that and they showed everybody and everybody freaked out about it, then they were like, oh, okay, we definitely have to make this now, you know? Probably, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Nomura gave an amazing quote that I thought was super interesting as well. He said that what I took the most care on and what I... F- felt that there would be many fans that played the original seven but with over 20 years that have passed there would be new new fans of the series as well so he says i really felt like i had to get the balance right and make something that could be enjoyed by both groups and he says that's what i took the most care with so yeah it's really reassuring mm-hmm, exactly and i think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of the original elements of the original game in this game as well, but also they're pushing the battle system forward and they are pushing it into the future and giving it to a new generation of gamers who are more used to, you know, action RPGs and updating the environments and fleshing out the character stories and adding new characters as well to this Mm -hmm. world, right? So Hamaguchi, Basically, for him, what he said that he he felt that the game should feel both new and nostalgic for players of the original game, but also for people that have not played the original but knew the characters like Cloud and Sephiroth through other means like, you know, just being online or playing other games that have like cross promotional, I guess, like characters like uh, Smash Bros or something, you know, how Cloud is a character in there. And I know a lot of people who play Smash Bros who know Cloud from that game, but they don't know Final Fantasy VII, right? They've like they've never played it, but they know Cloud as a character and they've done some investigating so they know who Sephiroth is and they kind of know a little bit about it, but they've never played it before. So I totally yeah. agree with with this um, comment. There's also Kingdom Hearts where Cloud and Sephiroth appeared and especially in 2 where they had dialogue and a little uh, side story with their mm-hmm. clash of dark, uh, darkness and light. Uh, I think there were also Aerith and Cloud uh, had a cameo guest character in uh, Final Fantasy Tactics for PlayStation 1. Mm-hmm. And a few other works, I think, where some Final Fantasy characters were in there. But, maybe, but I think most that haven't played the original were um, introduced to the characters in, in, with Kingdom Hearts and probably also Advent Children. That's true. 
I've known a, a few people who uh, entered the universe or the compilation with Advent Children. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even Crisis Core for the, for the PSP, because uh, I think it was also quite a beloved title. Not by certain enthusiasts, but by mm-hmm. like normal, general uh, gamers. Most uh, liked that game, I think. And Zack was also uh, quite beloved. He also appeared in uh, another Kingdom Hearts game, uh, Birth by Sleep. He had a yeah. guest appearance. So yeah, Final Fantasy characters have been everywhere so far, so mm-hmm. it's hard to avoid them. <laughs> yeah. So I just pulled another direct quote from the video. Um, this is Nomura. So he says, when I started work on the Final Fantasy VII remake, I watched a lot of playthrough videos and player commentaries online. It generally takes around 10 hours to play through the Midgar sections of the original game. Those sections flowed a lot more smoothly than I had remembered, but I felt that there was even more that we can do. You travel through the slums quite a lot in the original game, but it didn't really feel like we used the upper city all that much, and I thought that we could have done that. Of course, you do go back to Midgar later and see some different scenes there, but I felt that it would be nice if we could see more of the upper layer in the earliest part of the story. I thought it would be good to open up some locations so players could explore more of those places that they really wanted to see when they played the original. People wanted to go into this building or see that facility. So I think you will get even more of a feel for Midgar than you did the first time. And it's not just the backdrops and locations, but also the citizens, like I mentioned before. So of course, your comrades and Avalanche are now really fleshed out characters too. And I think you'll get a better idea about their lives. So this is fantastic. And I like the fact that he obviously took time out to kind of research online and watch playthrough videos and player commentaries to see what people were saying, I guess, about the original and how long it took to play through the original to kind of have like an outlook on, I guess, what to add. Do you know what I mean? Like to kind of Mm. extend that? Um, I'm not sure about the 10 hours though. Um, I'm kind of remembering that six or seven hours is a normal playthrough. Or one when you kind of try to do everything, but it's yeah, I'd have to check again. But I think it's it's a little bit little bit lower than ten hours, but still it's uh, when you compare it with a speed run, which takes maybe seven to eight hours or something. Mm-hmm. Midgar still takes one and a half to two hours, so it's around twenty five percent of the original of the of the whole experience. If you mm-hmm. Uh, try to cut out all the uh, the fluff, so to speak, uh, the the grinding, the the traversal and searching around. So, like breaking it down to mandatory fights and story scenes, it's uh, Midgar is pretty chunky actually. Even if you don't remember it, because you've uh, spent much more time outside, because the gameplay also opens up there. You have more freedom to run around to find stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, op- optional side quests that are barely existent in Midgar alone so it's ex- the, the amount of work that can uh, can be poured into and the, the potential for expansions is huge in Midgar so I'm really glad they took that route in the original opening it's it's you know pretty much a recreation of the opening for the mm-hmm. remake as well when you zoom out and you see how big and vast the city oh, is yeah. <laughs> you know the upper plates it's but huge. in the yeah but in the original you don't get to explore any of that. Like, 
barely any of that because you spend most of your time in the slums, right? So Mm. I really do appreciate that we're getting more playthrough and gameplay and stories from the upper plate. You know, I think that that's going to make us care about the civilians even more and the citizens and our our teammates as well with their fleshed out stories. And then obviously when, you know, the bombing missions are happening and the reactors are being destroyed and everything, um, the impact that that's going to have, I guess, on the general public, I think it's going to be felt even more than how it was in the original game. I mean, I'm not sure, but I'm just saying like my thought process. Oh, definitely. We also see that in uh, in the snippets we've seen in trailers when Cloud is running through destroyed Sector Eight, close to Reactor. It's uh, it's total mess. And uh, in the documentary part, we can also see Cloud being able to talk to those. Like one one has the uh, the icon for being talked to on him. So when you start talking to those and see uh, how they're impacted, it really leaves a mark, I think. Mm-hmm. And I hope we get to see Sector 7 on the plate so that yeah. we ha- establish a connection to them when the plate falls. So mm-hmm. I, they, they really have uh, potential to, to pull on even more heartstrings or just bring us closer to all the lives that have been lost. Because in the original, you, you know a few, a few people in the slums, but that's it. Mm-hmm. The rest is just, well, you know that a lot died, but you had no connection. So uh, Exactly. Yeah. Also, so moving on to the next quote here. So they really did a good job addressing the concerns of the game being split over multiple parts. And we did talk about this um, on our last episode because it's just been, you know, all over the Internet and people are still upset about the game being split. And I said, if I have to read another comment, like I'm going to freak out. So (laughs) here it is. So this is Hamaguchi's quote for you uh, people who are upset about this. So he said Final Fantasy VII has a huge number of fans. And to properly show even just the story set in Midgar for a modern audience requires a huge volume of data and game content. It has around the same amount of gameplay as a full-numbered Final Fantasy game. We've heard some people say it's just set in Midgar. I really think this game will more than satisfy and show what we want to about the wonders of Final Fantasy VII. The whole design has had so much detail crammed into it that it won't fit on a single Blu-ray disc. We've made enough content to fill two Blu-ray discs, so don't worry, it's a very big game, even though the story only goes up to the escape of Megar. And there you have it, folks. Case closed. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have everything in this game updated with updated graphics and, you know, 4K checkerboard and HDR and these beautiful cutscenes and realistic facial expressions and, you know, every single strand of hair having its own movement physics. Like, you can't have that without this game being split with modern technology, the way the technology is now with the PS4. PS5, we're going to talk about that later. Those limitations are going to be even less, so then they are going to be able to do even more with the other parts that are going to be coming out after so it's pretty much just the way that it is so anyway yeah all right so here's a quote from the battle director he says that he thought that players should be able to experience all the elements that were in the original game 
as well as the new elements that they've put into this game, Kataze says that mainstream RPGs are more action-based so that they tried to create something that would satisfy the original turn-based fans and action fans um, at the same time. So which is why they added the ability to be able to move around the battlefield, I guess the environment, and attack whenever you want, but also leaving the menu-based commands uh, with the ATB bars there as well for traditional fans of the series who like turn-based RPGs. So we're getting, like we've talked about this before, we're getting a good balance of both, and I think that they did a really great job giving us that. What do you think? Uh, to the point about the, the battle system, I I love how they managed to create the hybrid that has turn-based elements and action-based elements in them. It's neither or. But it still feels like a complete package. It's like a new system, not just mm-hmm. oh they had uh, a turn-based system slapped onto an action uh, battle like no, exactly. wait mode in like wait mode in Final Fantasy fifteen. This was uh, it felt disjointed. I, I mm-hmm. never I never used it. I didn't really have the uh, I never used interest it to do so. Yeah, but here we have a combination of both with the option to uh, choose classic mode. Mm-hmm. which just uh, automates the pure react- reactionary action, like blocking and dodging mm-hmm. and attacking. So if you're bad at at, uh, at that, if you just try to relax and want to select everything from menus or the shortcuts, you can do so. Of course, it's easier, but some people just can't deal with that anymore. They don't get younger. I've heard yeah. from many people over 30 that they just don't feel like uh like getting good at at games anymore just wanted to enjoy and relax and calm down after uh after work and don't want to spend like seven eight hours a day uh trying to beat ninja gaiden on the highest difficulty or dark souls or sekiro or whatever so uh yeah i understand from that perspective i think they they created a great battle system that catered to multiple types of people like those who really are into gaming game a lot have the reflexes and really want to be challenged i think they have that even a normal mode a little not of course not, ex- not to the extreme with uh, like other games but i think it's it's good enough and if they manage to create and add a hard mode like they did in kingdom hearts with the critical mode those fans will be satisfied i hope mm-hmm. but for me Normal mode is uh, pretty cool so far. It's it feels feels much uh, more intense and challenging than the original game, mm-hmm. but it's still manageable enough that my slow brain sometimes, uh, yeah, doesn't really matter if I don't, if I don't play perfectly. I still can, and I actually feel accomplished when I do something good when I uh, manage to let's say beat the scorpion boss without using too much potions mm-hmm. and feel like crap if you, if I uh, just keep getting hit and hit, but I know I'm the one that makes mistakes. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, it, feel, it feels really good. Like you said, it's not just an ATB system that's just tacked on to the original. Like there's depth there. So if you practice and you care enough in really understanding how the system works, when mm-hmm. to use the abilities, when to do combos, when to use spells then you're going to 
basically master this system, right? This battle system. And that's great because there's depth there for those people who want that. If you don't want that, you don't have to use that, right? You can use the uh, classic mode so that it's attacking for you. And then you just issue the commands and Basically, it's it's just like for somebody who wants to experience the story, and that's totally fine. There's so many different types of people who like different types of gameplay, right? I yeah. ha- I like all different types. I like the easy stuff. It depends on if I'm exhausted, right? Like if I'm tired after working all day, I might not want to really dive into the battle system, so then I can just turn the classic mode on. But then some days I'm like, no, I really want a challenge, right? And that's great. So I think that they did a really good job of giving us something new, something fresh, but also keeping everybody happy and catering to everybody, as as many people as possible, I guess. But without, like you said, just sacrificing uh, quality, you know, exactly, and just being yeah. <laughs> like, here, let's just slap this on, which is the way that I felt 15 was. Because then mm-hmm. people were complaining that it was action-based, so it was like they just tacked on the weight mode like last minute because yeah. they were afraid of the backlash that they were going to get from people who enjoy the turn-based element of the Final Fantasy games. So it was like they just turn, just put that on. I didn't even use that option. I just played it like an action game, basically. Yeah, it really felt like that. And uh, I really like that it's all about choice in this new battle system here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can choose to get challenged. You can choose to take it easy. You can choose to just play around you can choose to be extremely efficient and really fast and beating enemies and try to exploit every weakness every uh, trick there is i've talked about this a little bit in the last episode already mm-hmm. so it's 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 really really deep the system you can master yeah. it really well it, it's it's not just like hold x or hold triangle um square to win yeah. definitely not <laughs> All right, now a few other points I like to address. Mostly the music part. They talked a little bit about the music, like that it's kind of a, of a DJ playing uh, playing with the different mm-hmm. parts and like conducting the mood of the audience, mm-hmm. which works pretty well here. The best example is the Marco Reactor theme. I think we talked about this last episode, mm-hmm. but just to re- reiterate a little, um, it has four four different versions. The normal mm-hmm. field reactor theme that just plays in the background. Then in the part with the lasers where it gets a little bit more tense, they add another layer. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you get pumped a little. And after that, there's uh, you see the sweeper, they talk a bit, and th- then it changes to uh, a <laughs> short part that is really intense, but not badly yet. And then as soon as you approach the sweeper, then the battle starts. Yeah, and after that, and also before, yeah, before also a little bit, it seamlessly changes into the battle theme and then switches back again. It's like adding a few instruments and then taking them away again. It's really cool. I love that. I I hope that they do that, and they did. I I'm so glad. Mm-hmm. And that's also what, uh, what I talked about. Is that the music needs to support the the mood, needs to support the action and. Uh, go in tandem with what's happening on screen and with with such an elab- elaborate presentation as we have now it's uh, even more important because in the original there was just background music that played on loop done changed to battle th- to battle theme the battle theme started from the beginning just looped and then it changed to the victory theme exactly 
and uh, switch back to the field theme, mostly, uh, most likely on the same beat, not from the beginning, of course. Uh, well, they did have that bug in the original. Yeah. Right? That in, it just in the start, PS4? It... <laughs> I think it was on the PS4 version, or was it on the PC version too? I yeah, know. I think it was both. Yeah, it just re- you, you'd like finish a battle and then the song would restart from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy IX had the same problem too, I think, but they oh patched my gosh. it. Yeah, this is was a little bit aggravating. But usually in the original games, it it started at the same point when the battle started, which was pretty cool. But that was it. This was really basic, nothing mm-hmm. fancy. And here in the remake, they uh, it's almost like a playable movie. But it's yeah. uh, it's really good. Another good example is also the um, the escape sequence. It's a more intense version of the bombing mission theme, and each time a uh, scene starts it changes to a different part mm-hmm. which plays for a little and then changes back into the the looping main escape theme which loops and loops then uh, another th- scene starts a different part plays which then uh, fades into the normal normal uh normal music again and keeps going it's uh, really mm-hmm. well made even for, it's kind of when you break it down it's pretty simple but it works it's nice and it supports the, the action perfectly. It's like, um, like we said in the last episode, it's kind of like it's organic, right? Like it's yeah, alive. Exactly. The music is alive because depending on what you're doing in the scene, the music changes, right? So when you're just walking through the environment, it's there. And then when you get into a battle, it just seamlessly just speeds up. It doesn't even speed up. It's mm. just that the Not beat, really, yeah. it goes double time, right? Like it's just that every beat is separated basically um so you're getting more beats but it's just uh it's so amazing and they did a little bit of this in 15 as well like i found like in 15 there what it wasn't as organic but it was really good in transitioning the songs in 15 like between what you were doing if you're exploring the world or then if you got into a battle like it transitioned into the songs really seamlessly but it didn't have it didn't have like five versions of the same song. Oh no, it didn't. Yeah, like this game has five versions of the same song, and then depending on what happens, determines when that specific version of the song is being is played. Right. Mm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Fifteen uh, did it the same way as Kingdom Hearts. Like they had a field theme. Mm-hmm. Well, Fifteen didn't really have a field theme. They they had several field themes that randomly played at certain parts, and usually it was just quiet. Mm-hmm. But then they have battle themes. It the battle theme starts always from the start. Yes. Then that's it true. goes back to the, to the normal. And Kingdom Hearts was the same, I think. It just had a background music. And it changed to the battle theme. It was kind of seamless. It's like a good fade, but it's still it's yeah. um always from the start of the battle theme, I think, if I remember correctly. Then it faded back to the to the normal field theme, which I think like in the PS1 era, uh, continued from the same position as it's mm-hmm. uh, stopped when the battle started. It's kind of a little smoother experience compared to the PS1 era with a separate battle, scre- battle screen, mm-hmm. but now it's completely different. They already experimented with this in uh, Final Fantasy thirteen two, I think. Okay. Uh, when When you were close... To an enemy, then the the timer started, and when you uh, hit the enemy early enough, then you start the battle with the preemptive strike or something, or uh, oh, the right, enemy yeah. had, had less had less health. And in that part where the enemy could hit you or you could hit the enemy, 
a more intense version played of the uh, oh, okay. the field theme. So that's they already had that same part there, the same concept, but just for the pre-battle scene and not for the battle itself, mm-hmm. because the battle was still in its uh, in a separate um, environment, so to speak. Yeah, it's camera. like a, a battle arena because it's still, yeah, exactly. like you go into like the environment disappears and then you just load into a battle arena screen, right? Where it's just open and yeah, yeah. That's probably why they had a separate theme without transition. Makes sense. But if you're running around and battle or battles are seamless, then the music should also be seamless. Mm-hmm. I agree. Also, if I remember correctly, uh, .hack, the .hack series also created and uh, developed by CyberConnect2, which were on board on uh, developing Final Fantasy VII Remake for the first two years or something. It then got kicked. Yeah. Um, they had that too. Even the soundtrack itself had the field theme, which uh, transitioned to the battle theme around one or one and a half minutes in, then okay. transitioned back to the field theme, and then it was finished. They also had that, and it worked pretty well. So the remake isn't the first that does that, but it's doing it really, really well, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. And just something something else interesting that I that I got from the video was the fact that they had said that the original didn't have um, any voice acting, right? So mm-hmm. now the fact that this game has full voice acting and there's so many different cutscenes and being able to, I guess, add music to those and keep it in there, but change it up so that it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's like applicable to what's happening in the scene, basically. And then you're you're receiving this and you're experiencing it in a certain way it was really uh, a challenge i think for them to be able to create new themes but also <laughs> just effectively put it in there so that because now there's there's voice acting because in the original there was no voice acting you're just reading the text on the screen so i feel like it would be easier to i guess invoke that emotion i guess when mm-hmm. there's no talking cuz you're just hearing the song and you're hearing the voice in your head right because you're just reading the text on the screen you can imagine it everything can can imagine the way you want so exactly too Uh, another good example with the music and the uh, the voice acting and the scenes is uh when the the cutscene starts at the security security gate at the beginning of the demo and the game itself um as soon as the scene starts there's a Like a mm-hmm. so, sort of a percussion hit, and then it changes to a, a more subtle bomb emission version, like really yeah. quiet and uh, like the smoothness of of the instruments really uh, <laughs> makes the scene, so to speak. Yeah, it, which, does. it is a quiet scene, and it even the uh, the main theme comes into play a few uh, for a few measures. Mm-hmm. It's pretty nice, and then. It transitions again to the the more bombastic version when Cloud uh, walks through the yeah. gate. It's uh, really not really nicely done. I hope that they get an award, like they win an award for the soundtrack, oh, yeah. but also the audio engineering for this yeah. game, like the soundtrack, but also the engineering as well. Like, mm. is just insane. Like, it's so it's so well done. I think that it's it's incredible, and they deserve it recognition is, yeah. because it's it's really good. Definitely, yeah. All right, and after this short tangent, let's veer back a little to the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> this always happens, but it's good. It's good. Uh-huh. I have two more points uh, I want to mention. Like, uh, 
as we've said before, with the upper plates that they want to expand on the upper plate. It's uh, it's really really commendable to get a little bit more balance between the uh, lower plate or below the plate and above the plate to get to see both both versions, like the the mm-hmm. more rich people or the uh, let's see middle class, because the rich ones are in uh, Shindra HQ, I think. So middle mm-hmm. class and comparing that to the slums, the lowest of the low. Which it, it doesn't really seem that bad, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I guess when we play mm-hmm. the game. Well, yeah, there's there are a few scenes we see from the upper plate, but we'll get to that in the next part. Mm-hmm. All right, so we did get some new scenes um, from this video. Some of the scenes featured new characters that were released um, in the Square Enix website article that we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about after we're done talking about the inside Final Fantasy VII uh, documentary video. So it looks like what we got was exploring, walking outside in the Sector 7 slums. I think it's the Sector 7 slums, and it says it looks like there's a crowd of NPCs around, and there's kind of like a a marker above one of these. Like, is it a grunt? I'm not sure. I can't. It's so fast that I don't, I I couldn't see what it is. But it looks like it might be like a quest. Yeah, it's it's a quest. There's a quest marker on on that guy, and it's a red security officer, one of them we see behind Reno entering the church. And also those that pursue Jesse Bixon Wedge and Clouds on the motorcycle. But I don't know how the, how their names are. Maybe mm-hmm. elite guards or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So we got, just got some camera pans around Cloud uh, in the slums at nighttime and then also during the day. And it looks like Tifa's there beside him. Cloud going into a hotel room or something with Aerith. I don't know where this is. If it's like Honeybee Inn or above seventh heaven because there's like a room above seventh heaven i think right so we don't know i don't know where do you think this is do you know when uh stepping through frame by frame i saw that cloud is entering either a living room or a bedroom okay because we see a bed there with someone lying inside can barely see anything but there's something under the sheet and an iv stand so there's there's someone sick uh lying in there and since we know, according to interviews, that they're delving more into Bix, Jesse, and Wedge's backstory. And mm-hmm. one interview even uh, spoiled that we get to see yes. spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Jesse's uh, parents, parents' homes, so and maybe her father or uh, mother is sick, or maybe it's uh, one of a parent of Bix or even Wedge. We get to see. I really hope we get uh, to meet more people associated with uh, those three maybe uh, Wedge's brother or something mm-hmm. maybe this is Wedge's brother but I don't think so it's I I, I think it's uh, connected to either Big Wedge or Jesse and it seems to be above the plate because mm-hmm. uh, there's there's also a scene which uh, where Cloud is uh, leaning against the bricked facade of a um, of a house and we can see the Shinra HQ in the background. And I think this is the outside of the same same building. Mm-hmm. That's my take anyway. And there's the scene with Aerith where he uh, enters another part, goes through a door with Aerith. That, that's a completely different, different scene. It's there, they both are cut so close together that we might, might, want, uh, might want to uh, connect those two, but they're completely different. 
yeah, you know more than I do because it just <laughs> happens so fast and that's, you're so used no to problem. doing your analysis. So I'm just yeah. like watching it. I'm like, where is this? Um, yeah. So we got a good look inside the Honeybee Inn entrance um, where there are some NPCs, patrons, like Honeybee Girls just there. Um, we got the team outside of event entrance. Uh, I said, more vent crawling. Is this Shinra headquarters um, vent crawling mission? I don't know. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, elevator going down. I said, it doesn't, in my opinion, look like they're going into a, a, a reactor. Um, it doesn't really have that kind of green glow to the environment from the Mako. So I didn't know where this would be. Then it switches to two guys in leather vests talking to Cloud in the slums during the daytime. Looks like it could be a side quest or a story arc for one of the characters. There's a guy that talks to Tifa on the train. I said that it seems to happen just before the train fight cutscene um, that we've been seeing like in the other trailers that we've seen so far, the action part of that. There's a new character, Chocobo Sam. It looks like there's a Chocobo sign behind him. Maybe th it looks like there's bags of... I don't even know. Do you call this Jissel greens or I, I call them Gosel greens? <laughs> Gosel greens? Okay. That's what I called them. What do you call them? Uh, Gisol? Gisol yeah? greens? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm glad that you <laughs> call it what it's actually called. So. Well, I, I don't um, really know if it's... I think it's Gisol. I think they yeah? call it that in Final Fantasy 15, but I'm not quite Gisol? sure. Gisol? Okay. So Gisol greens I think, I think it's Gisol greens, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... There was a scene showing a new character, Madame M. So we're going to talk about a little bit about her after. Mm. It looks like she could be. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like she might be in Honeybee Inn, right? Or yep. Don Corneo's mansion. I'm not sure. But it's kind of like they have the same style of decorations a little bit. I don't know. It's uh, the next new character that we got a glimpse of is Don Corneo's uh, lackey, Leslie Kyle who looks like a hybrid between Noctis and Cindy from Final Fantasy 15. And I said, <laughs> it looks like he just literally walked off the set of that game and was just like, Hey guys, what's up? Yeah. I just yeah. want to be in this game now. <laughs> <laughs> the other one sucked. I want to be in a better yeah. game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we've got some NPCs. It's like a cutscene getting off the train. So I, I thought, I mean, I stopped watching like I, I just paused it a little early. I didn't. I forgot that there's more to this oh, scene. I so yeah. I thought that maybe it was a cutscene that you get when you travel to a new part of the um part of the city by train. Maybe you know how it's like in in Spider Man. Did you play that? You played Spider Man, uh, right? I I didn't know. Unfortunately, okay. <laughs> when you fast travel, you also take the subway because you're in New York City, right? In Manhattan, yep. so it shows like a cutscene of him sitting on the train with other people, and he's like looking at his phone or talking to somebody or. Something like oh, that. So I, I thought maybe it was like a cutscene for when they reach their destination and then they get off the train. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. It is, yeah. But I say I say later. <laughs> yeah. It looks so we got um a nice bit of stuff here. So I appreciate the views of the environments a little bit more, like walking in the environments and the just the panning around so we could see more of the environment. Um, seeing more NPCs I thought was really cool. The reveal of the new characters was awesome. I'm just curious to see how they fit into the story and what kind of fleshed out stories they're going to get. I hope that they're meaningful contributions to the overall story. That's my, and we've talked about this on a previous episode as well, like yeah. our apprehensions going into the game as well. So I just really hope that they really bring um, a lot to the story and kind of enrich the story even more. So yeah, same. Yeah. So what do you think? Hmm. All right. 
All right, guys, buckle up. Here we go. I have almost a page worth of notes here. Buckle up. <laughs> here comes the frame-by-frame frame analysis. No, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I'll save it for my own video. Here is just uh, some notable details I've found. Put on your, uh, put on your Barrett sunglasses, everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay cool, guys. <laughs> All right. Now, at first, I was a little bit apprehensive about watching it uh, because I heard that there are new scenes. But uh, Kairos is, uh, was so was was so nice to give me a <laughs> short, spoiler-free rundown of what's what's inside, and I thought mm, that doesn't sound too bad. So I I watched it, and I did, didn't disappoint. I really, I'm really gl glad I watched it. So mm -hmm. many cool scenes without spoiling, as mentioned before. So let's go through this. Um, at the beginning, uh, I'll go through uh, chronologically and not how they appear in uh, right. in the clip. At the start, we see Cloud walking through the destroyed Sector 8. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before, so I won't um, reiterate, but it looks really cool. So the, the aftermath is really visceral, it seems. Then there are some battles on Loftus Street, which seem to happen after, after the scene with uh, Aerith. Mm -hmm. Also, there, is, there was a scene with Aerith a little bit extended where she gives him the flower. But we right. don't hear any dialogue in the whole video, so that's mm -hmm. good. Um, but after, after that, there's, uh, there are additional battles against grunts or the security officers. In the original, they were, the, the battles were only uh, close to the train rails. And mm -hmm. here they start in Loveless Street already, apparently, as we've seen in the, the short teaser trailer at the end of the demo. What I really like there is we gain AP, like in the, the battle log, it says mm -hmm. 16 EXP and 2 AP per, uh, per uh, enemy. Mm -hmm. And the second part, there was, uh, was a grenadier, a new enemy, I think. There was one in the original, but that's a dummied out enemy, like the uh, gray, brown, beige version of the MP. They do appear in the underwater part underwater reactor but they they are called underwater mp there and they're much much stronger so it's maybe kind of a, a hybrid or inspired by that enemy something like that but i find it pretty cool that they start to uh, switch things up even that this early in the game mm -hmm. and also there seems to be a independent material lying around next to a car in the second battle with the grenadier which, according to Eurogamer, is might be a HP plus or the deadly dodge uh, we've heard about in previous yeah uh, screenshots or blog posts. Um, now now comes the the scene where all those people exit the train. That's uh, just the arrival scene we also see in the original. But in the original, there were there was like this punk couple and another couple meeting, mm -hmm. and there that was it. And now we see a whole slew of um, of people, mostly couples or friends that meet. It's it's really a wholesome meeting. We see the Shinra uh, middle manager from the second bombing mission, also there meeting um, his daughter and wife. Another couple meeting, uh, an elderly couple meeting, just couples and friends meeting. It's it's really really nice. Also interesting. There's uh, a new character there. We've already seen in the E3 trailer in the sitting in a train. I've pointed this one out that reminded me of a Persona character with a 
like sort of uh, a weird hat and the buttons on mm-hmm. on the shirt. Uh, this is actually a character from the novel The Kids Are All Right, a Turk's side story, which is also written by Nojima-san. And she's also uh, part of the, the de- detective trio or something like that, or helps, helps the main protagonist out with the investigations. Her name is right. Kiri Kanan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, let's see what, uh, what they have in store for, for her. I'm pretty sure we, we get to talk to her or uh, maybe do a side quest with or for her. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise it wouldn't make sense to include an established character. Yeah, they've said that before, that they're using the kids are all right, right? For yeah, they did, they did yeah. More that and, characters. or at least, the, those two non-canon or non-compilation works from Nonjima. This is one, and the other one is, I think, the Maiden Trails the Planet, which uh, talks about, or uh, tells the story of everything in the live stream. Also meeting okay. uh, Jesse Biggs and Wedge and other people that died. Uh, I haven't haven't read both of them, neither of them, unfortunately. Maybe I should. Mm-hmm. Same here. <laughs> before before the game comes out, if I remember and have time. But yeah, that's pretty cool that they include that. This um, also Leslie Kyle, the uh, Cornelius mm-hmm. Lackey is also one of the same story. He's also helping the investigation with a uh, for the main character. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty cool. Um. Now, after that, we see Avalanche exiting the train, and they're all in in a great mood. Like, mm-hmm. Barrett is, is uh, throwing hands in the air, like, yeah, we did it, and Jesse too, <laughs> and the others too, and Big Sk- uh, Wedge gives his thumbs up again, and it's, uh, yeah, they, they, they like uh, having uh, another mission done in the bag. Mm-hmm. Or at least they think so. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's not as it seems. Cloud is, of course, aloof as always, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and important to note, Barrett doesn't have the shades on. So this enforces the theory that uh, many people or a few people had that he only wears the shades to uh, cover his eyes from the muzzle flashes so that he doesn't get blind or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's also another um, short scene like a close-up of Barrett where he doesn't have the shades on either. And it looks to be the same environment where we see him uh, fighting two vagrant police mm-hmm. enemies, like those carrot or yes. carrot uh, thingies in uh, Shinra HQ. And as he, uh, because he's wearing or having the uh, atomic scissors equipped, which doesn't shoot anything, then he doesn't really have to have the glasses on or the, the shades exactly. on. Exactly. And in this very fight scene from the TGS trailer, no, the, sorry, the uh, theme, th- theme song trailer, we don't see him uh, wearing the shades either. So this really ne- seems to be a thing, which I find pretty cool. It's a nice detail. And it's not just, oh, I'm cool, I'm Blade instead of Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> so it really has a, has a meaning behind it. Although what I find strange is in the E3 trailer, he still wears the shades when meeting Tifa and Marlene, which is after they get off the train. So either he uh, puts on the glasses for coolness sake, or they change this in the meantime. We'll see, I guess, in the final final version. Now, as you said, we had a great uh, great view on, on the slums in the camera pan by night and by day. Mm-hmm. 
uh, I don't can't really say much about it without uh, without showing you guys because it's mm -hmm. you really have to see this. This is it's just so awesome to see so much of Midgard, like the central uh, central pillar where the the train um, runs around and the plates from below and a little bit of the outside sky and it's so massive. It's huge. <laughs> It's just, literally like the backdrop of everything that you're doing pretty much yeah, when you're in the yeah. slums, right? Because it's always yeah. there. Like, it's kind of just always there, which is really cool. It is. And I've watched uh, Maximilian Dude's reaction to those scenes, and he just lost it seeing that. He just, I know, he just <laughs> broke. <laughs> it's, he loved it so much. It's what he wanted to see, I guess. Also, what's interesting is, uh, I didn't think of that uh, before, but other people told me that it looks like a, a starry night sky when uh, looking at the, all the lights below the plate. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, kind of a night sky simulation. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. yeah, quite interesting. Then we got a short scene, uh, Tifa receiving the flower from Cloud, which happens all at, at the door and not inside near the bar, which is different. Mm -hmm. Um, she seems to be very happy to have received the flower, which is nice, of course. Then another scene, which happens by daylight, probably after they uh, after they sleep uh, on the next day, with uh, Tifa on the seventh heaven porch. Uh, probably a a scene before the two of them get get off doing quests in the slums. Mm -hmm. Then the scene you mentioned before with uh, all the, the the lively and bustling uh, part of town with all these all those NPCs and the guard, the red one, on yeah. the porch of another home, I think. Um, oh right, the uh, the two guys, the two rockers, or whatever those are, sizing up Cloud. Yeah, I have a feeling that there are Johnny's friends because one of them oh. have has has the same the same hairdo as. Uh, one of Johnny's friends in the original, because we you see uh, Johnny and this uh, this other guy fleeing the bar when Barrett shoots up everything, and then you can talk to both of them, and one of them kind of looks like like this guy. The other one with the cap seems to be a new one. I wonder if Johnny's also part of this scene. He should be actually. Mm -hmm. Probably jo uh, Johnny uh, uh, talks to him and says something like uh, "childhood friend of Tifa," blah blah, and the other one, "ah, childhood friend, you better don't." Uh, do anything bad to her, blah, blah. Are you really fit for this? And blah. Right. Something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then it's the interesting scene with uh, Cloud entering the home we've talked about before. Then you, you mentioned uh, the scene in, in the train before everything, all hell breaks loose on the second bombing mission. It's actually right. the Shinra middle manager. You can see his uh, Shinra oh. logo pin on, on the jacket. Oh, I didn't look that close. Ah, that's fine. You can, and you can only see it in a few frames. <laughs> that's because you slow it down frame by frame, yes. and you like put a magnifying yes. glass up to your yes. <laughs> computer screen, and increase the brightness and yeah. uh, contrast, <laughs> <laughs> everything. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, we get to see more screens with him, and it seems to be in a in a, an argument with Tifa. Mm -hmm. It's interesting in the E3 uh, trailer and one screenshot of that trailer, we can see him actually talking with Tifa in the background behind Barrett. So uh, it was also part of, of early material, early um, PR material, which is nice. Then comes new, uh, some scenes from the second bombing mission you mentioned before with the vent, vent and the elevator. 
the vent is uh, probably the one with uh, close to the safe point. If you remember, there's uh, mm -hmm. the bigs standing there. There's a safe point in a in an L-shaped walkway to the right, and then mm -hmm. you enter a vent that leads directly into the uh, what's it called in the remake? I always called it the filtration room, but in the remake it has a different. Oh, different, I'm not uh, sure. Um, I forget. Anyway, it's it's that one, and the other scene with the elevator happens before because this is the elevator to to the lower part of the plate below because you can see um, see the atmosphere and uh, kind of part below. So if okay. you if you if you walk walk up to the railing, you should see the slums below. Oh, okay. And interesting is also that just um, ahead, you see a big pipe running along the wall. Yeah. And this pipe is the one we've also seen in the E3 trailer, where Cloud is walking along and had to uh, like lean against a wind that's, that was blowing uh, oh, okay. above the, play, the, the thing. Mm -hmm. And to the, to the left, there's, there are much more walkways and, and, and stuff. I think we've seen in trailers too and in screenshots. But it's too complicated to yeah. uh, explain on a podcast, so I'll leave that be. <laughs> and also really nice, a short shot of the church uh, with Aerith uh, looking at Cloud when he wakes up after the yeah. fall. Again, a really, really concerned look. Almost the same she had uh, when meeting Cloud for the first time in Sector 8. So it's kind of kind of a mirror of that uh, that meeting. Yeah, and I think she probably asks him too. Are you okay? The second time, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll see. And speaking of Johnny, I mentioned before, uh, there was a short scene uh, showing Johnny near Don Corneo's mansion. Yeah, because when he when he compared the background, it's clear that he stands in front of the, the uh, mansion. I have no idea what he's doing there. Because in the original, we only saw him uh, uh, lurking around in front of the Honeybee Inn. So maybe he helps helps the either Tifa or Aerith and Cloud out with uh, the whole cross-dressing thing. Or mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to see, uh, hard to say how exactly it ties into the story. But I'm curious to see how it pans out. And I love his new design. It's cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then. Also, a very short scene with uh, Cloud waking up Tifa in the sewers. I just hope we can still choose, and it's not just automatic, because in the original we could choose to either walk, talk to Aerith or Tifa first, and the one we talked to first got the boost in the affection points. And Reno, also, again, and this time his uh, worst deed yet, activating the plate separation protocol. Mm -hmm. It's not quite activated yet because in the uh, uh, I think it's the screen or something in the background it's that uh, has the question should you activate and uh, Reno just has to press the button and it's gone just like in the original mm -hmm. then we see a plate fall sequence we've seen it the, the themes on trail 2 but a little bit extended yeah but not by much and I think that's about it for the interesting bits mm -hmm. yeah so now we've uh, reached the the, uh, the terminus. You can uh, release the strap on again and get off and feel good about having learned something new. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for 
going back through the video to like scene by scene and uh, really dissecting it and getting all that information because there was a lot of stuff that I didn't uh, really grasp. I'm sure a lot of people as well feel the same yeah, way, yeah. right? Because it's so the scenes are so they they cut to different parts like so fast that it's really hard mm. to get the information. So it is. I didn't even touch on a few scenes either because it's uh, either not really interesting enough or too complicated to describe mm-hmm. without. So. All right, guys, so going on to our second part here, we are talking about the recently released Square Enix uh, article that was also released this past Monday, just like the uh, documentary video. Um, So it's awesome that we got some more information on the same day. Um, We got a lot of new stuff in this article. So we got a bunch of new screenshots. We got some uh, a closer look at some of the environments. Uh, we also got some new character key art and screenshots for some of the new characters that weren't in the original Final Fantasy VII game. Uh, so these are new characters just for the remake. It also featured a closer look at Barrett gameplay and uh, enemy skill materia confirmed, which is amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it also showed a new in-game jukebox, um, a new battle arena, Don Corneo's Coliseum. A closer look at Honeybee Inn, uh, Beginner's Hall, and a closer look at the Leviathan Summon. So got a lot of stuff in this article. So we're just quickly going to go through here um, the screenshot. So the first thing that we got was a character key art for Sang. I just put here a note. So I don't know what's on his forehead. Is it a birthmark? I'm assuming it's it's a birthmark or something. Because um, we're never explained that, right? Like it's no. never told to us. So but anyway. People are- People were theorizing that it might be either a a Bindi or a Tilak, probably a Tilak. Oh, I'm not okay. too uh, knowledgeable in that. I've read up on this this a little. It's uh, like Indian tradition. Mm-hmm. Bindi is usually found on married women, I think, and Tilak yes. is more like a status symbol for men, I believe. Oh, cool. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to read up again. I forgot uh, forgot everything again. <laughs> but I'm I'm still I don't really know why he has that. It doesn't look. Uh, Indian. Uh, maybe it's just a birthmark, Asian? like, or maybe it's just a, a very well placed birthmark. Could be too, yeah. just to uh, like differentiate him from mm-hmm. everyone else, make him the leader, like a, a leader des- designator or something like that. But I don't right. think it has been confirmed by anyone at Square Enix. Well, we got a closer look at his outfit. So I really like that they went back and they redid the Turks' outfits, changing them slightly and giving them more character to their outfits because in the original, yep. they all just wore suits that looked mm. the same. So now each member has their own personality and it makes sense because they would each modify their own style of suit to match their personalities, right? So I really appreciate that. And yeah, so it looks like we also got some Don Corneo uh, key art and another screenshot uh, looking as skeevy as ever. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I thought that actually the, uh, what is it called? Like the, it's not the handle, but the arm of his chair, I guess, that's mm-hmm. in the, it looks like there's claws or fingernails. I thought that was yep. actually his hand. And then I was like, oh. what? So then I, <laughs> okay. then I was like, oh no, it's just the, it's the, um, arm of Just, his chair so actually i believe it's the uh, the lever or lever that he oh. uses for uh, opening oh. the, the trap door i think it oh, really looks like uh, like his victory smile here like haha you're wrong you chose wrong like you have to choose between three sentences like uh why he why he uh 
spills the guts about his plans. Yeah, it's uh, I'm pretty pretty sure this is the, the the lever. Do we say lever or lever? Yeah, you can say either or. But either. I oh, okay, it's like yeah. tomato and tomato. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that because I didn't. It just makes so much sense that that's what that what that is. I just it's like yeah. it's in front of the arm of his chair yeah. i think so it kind of looks like that but i thought it was his hand first i was like oh they, he's got <laughs> he's got like golden nails like yeah <laughs> uh which i wouldn't put it past him i mean like look at all of the other eccentric stuff that we're getting right in the yeah. wall market so um which leads us to the next character so i don't know if it's andrea or if it's uh andrea so i'm just gonna say andrea rodea so they made his name rhyme, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said he looks like he trains at the gym. I don't know about you, but he looks like he goes to that gym, and he probably knows somebody that owns one of the wigs. Could be, yes, sure. <laughs> I'm, I also, I'm also pretty sure that uh, we go to the Honeybee Inn first, meet uh, yes, Andrea. I, I say Andrea Rodia. I yeah, I think both both work. Uh, and then he probably pulls the strings or recommends Cloud where to go, and exactly. Cloud can then extend the recommendation for uh, for Andrea from Andrea and says, "Hey, I'm I'm sent by this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Do some squats exactly. and we give you the wig and stuff." Yeah. And then everybody is <laughs> <laughs> like, "Yeah, do some squats." And then all the guys are standing in the back watching him do the squat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, "All right, here's your wig. That's great." Yeah. So our next character that we got a closer look at was Leslie Kyle. Like you said, I said, it looks like that he's in the wrong game. Hello, Final yep. Fantasy 15. What's happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's looks like Noctis, but also Cindy, but also also a little bit of um, hope, like from 13. Yeah, like a little bit. The hair, just the hair. Like an um, older hope. Yeah. 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 There's a little description. It says Don Corneo's lackey may look young, but he has the heart of an old curmudgeon. His dead-eye stare and general apathy have earned him pride of place among the Don, among the Don's men. Okay, hmm. that's a very interesting description. I don't think I've ever heard the word curmudgeon like Me ever. Whoever is writing these articles, good for you. Good for you. Yeah. They ha- they have yeah. like dictionary.com open on their browser, like <laughs> exactly. while they're writing this. Yeah. So next character is Madam M. Mm. Uh, it says Madam M is the proprietress of a hand massage parlor in Fall Market. Hmm. Interesting. Are you going to go get a massage, miss? Sure. Yeah, every time, each time, every day. Every time I say her name, you're like, mm. <laughs> Madam <laughs> M. Uh, it says, like, Andrea, or Andrea, or Andrea, whatever you want to say. No idea. (laughs) She has a great deal of influence within the quarter. That includes the authority to approve women for Corneo's auditions. Ooh. Be Mm -hmm. warned that she's a prideful sort and only as courteous as her customers are deep-pocketed. Ooh, girl! She's a gold digger. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> nah, you, you, you better save up or master all those all material and sell them there. <laughs> uh, I'm really looking forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she looks super interesting. We'll see, we'll see. Um, so Chocobo Sam, this is his description. So Chocobo, he's a Chocobo handler in Wall Market. 
He's another prominent figure with the authority to approve women for Corneo's auditions. He runs a delivery service called Sam's Delivery. He also happens to be an avid gambler, though he's hooked more on the rush than any money that he may win. So, so quite the opposite of Madam M. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how these characters play into the story. And we did get a little bit from the descriptions, but not too much. So we'll see, I mm. guess, when we play through the game. So, uh, Since all of them approve women for Corneo's auditions, I'm pretty sure we get one piece of the outfit from each one of them in some fashion. And we probably have to uh, do something for them, maybe gamble or uh, and win against uh, Chocobo Sam. If we win, we get a better item than we lose, for example. Madam M... No idea. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. really, really know what to expect there. What kind of delivery uh, service does Chocobo Sam have? Like, is it food delivery or is it like women delivery? <laughs> like, maybe what kind of all delivery? of the above. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like on a Chocobo because he's Chocobo Probably, handler. Yeah. So, you know, are we going to be able to get a Chocobo from him? Like, do you think or no? It's hard to say. Hard to say. I have many, many theories. One of them mm-hmm. is. He has the, he does deliver Tifa, so uh, like delivering uh, or, or um, riding around with uh, women for Don Corneo is most likely a thing. Maybe yes. not just women, but also uh, maybe food for whatever, wine, no idea, or whatever. Yeah. His clients want to be delivered, to have delivered. Maybe like some, some black market crap. Yeah, uh, that's true. It's also interesting, it's called Sam's Delivery. It kind of sounds like uh, Cloud's uh, delivery service in Advent Children. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe this is where he gets the idea from. Who knows? Mm, Kind of a retcon, but whatever. (laughs) But yeah, I'm I'm quite intrigued by uh, Chocobo Sam. And for those who have uh, watched our wall market analysis, he also appears uh, in the Honeybee Inn scene. He's uh, sitting there in one of on one of the couches with uh, one honeybee girl on each side. So he is, also seems to be budding with uh, Andrea or Andrea or mm-hmm. whoever, <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, quite diversity in uh, in outfits here. Like Leslie Kyle is kind of a mixture between a mechanic and a rocker, mm-hmm. uh, or, or a motorcycle enthusiast. Andreas is the circus guy. Adam M is uh, the like the bordel mom. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And Chogo Sam is uh, kind of a, a ranch guy, the Texas Ranger, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Kind of looks. That's. I love love it when when games uh, provide this vari- variety of uh, character designs. Mm-hmm. It's like. You can feel their uh, their personality through their design. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so then uh, we did get some new screenshots featuring Barrett in battle. I think that you're going to go more in-depth into that in a second. And we also got command materia enemy skill confirmed, which I think is incredible. I was actually... Mm. I wasn't sure if this was going to make it in or not because I know that it was one of more of the... In the original, not that it was obscure, but it was just more of, I feel like it would have been hard for them to be able to put this in the remake because you, like, 
steal the enemy skills and there's so many enemy skills in the original that you can take and there's so many different criteria that you have to kind of meet to be able to get them and then mm-hmm. that I, I thought it was probably going to be too difficult for them to put in because they did axe quite a few materia and we don't have a list of ones that they don't like they are not including so in the back of my mind I was thinking mm, we're probably not going to get enemy skills so I'm super happy that we're getting this I think it's amazing I'm super excited about this Oh, same. Yeah, I didn't have uh, that much of of um, negative outlook on materia usually, and I thought enemy skill. Yeah, that's from a from a developer standpoint, it's pretty easy to implement because in the original you just had to get hit and survive and not flee. Yeah, for for you to learn, and this also is still the case in the in the remake. So just get hit by an enemy skill, and then it pops up. Oh, learned. Then you can uh, can use it. And they have to control over which skill you learn, so they can easily make sure that it still makes sense for our heroes to um, to use those skills. Mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that Matra magic is in, and I'm curious as to how they will do it. Does, yeah. uh, do all those those missiles come out of their behinds or something? I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> like fart <laughs> missiles. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's. It's interesting to think about which ones mm-hmm. might be in. I'm pretty sure we get new ones, like a yeah. few of the original ones and a lot of new ones because I'm expecting that part two and three or maybe four if they do four, that each one has to, uh, its own enemy skill material and its own enemy skill sets to learn, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Which makes it even more, de- more exciting. Uh, then a few comments about Barrett, there's not much to say there. The first screen is uh, kind of a recreation of uh, one of the State of Play trailer scenes. It just looks way, way better. Much better lighting and colors. The rest mm-hmm. is quite, uh, pretty much the same. Battle against Sweeper. We know that from the demo. Nothing to it. It's the overcharge ability. Then we have the focus shot ability. We also know from the demo, so no further comment needed. Just that it's this battle happens against the Grash Strike Queen in the tunnels. This battle has been featured in many screens and uh, footage already. So no, no need to go into it. But what's interesting is the new ability Lifesaver. So it seems they go full on tank with Barrett. According to the description, it says. Lifesaver, this ability definitely lives up to its name. After activating it, Barrett will share some of its HP with allies when they take damage. So this seems to me uh, like they have taken the cover materia and remodeled it into an ability for Barrett. Mm -hmm. So if someone takes damage, Barrett takes, let's say, half of the damage for himself or transfers half of the damage taken from himself to the other, the, the victim. And in the screenshots, we can see when he activates Lifesaver with the, the green um, particles all around, there's this new red flash next to his name, uh, between name and the HP, or above the HP label. Oh yeah, I so see we it. See th- we see that it's activated, and in the previous screenshot where he uses Focus Shot, we see a green ring around it. So it could be that just moments before, either Tifa or Cloud suffered some damage and 
Barrett just uh, transferred some HP to another one, hence the green effect. That's my prediction, mm. anyway. It's uh, it's pretty cool. I like this. Same, yeah. So you can activate Steel Skin, maybe equip something with high defense, mm -hmm. then activate Lifesaver, and just uh, absorb damage after damage after damage and save the others. So yeah. It's like a happy medium between yeah. being a tank and having tank abilities, you know what I mean? But also Sentinel from 13 was mm. kind of the same type of thing where you yeah. had like a damage, like a tank, right? Like a damage taker and then exactly. not necessarily like a high damage dealer. But um, and then it also gives survivability to the rest of the party as well. And also yeah. there's another ability. I forget what it's called now where, oh, it's called taunt, I think, when you taunt the enemy and then it it like has to attack you if you oh, use yeah, taunt. Right. So yeah. it's kind of like that, but mixed with the other two like all together, which I like. I like this a lot. Kind of, yeah, I like it too. Um, this reminds me a little bit of the new threat mod for Final Fantasy VII, which I've watched uh, Max's whole playthrough, the streams, mm -hmm. not the abridged version or the, the shortened version on YouTube. And Barrett saved saved his life so many times because <laughs> each time Barrett gets hit, his defense gets uh, a stack or gets um, oh, increased. Okay. So the more he gets hit, the less damage he takes. And it's if you equip him with armor and accessories that boost his defense even more, or uh, use materia or something. Uh, is is the materia? I, oh, right. In the new threat mod, Materia also has much more impact on stats. So if you load him up with Materia, that boosts defense too. And he has cover equipped. He just just absorbs everything and is, gets barely a scratch. It's, it's really cool. And I think they're doing something similar here with his ability so that he can uh, really protect, protect the other two party members if done right. All right. And it looks like also we did get... Some uh, new screenshots featuring Wall Market. It looks like just an overview of kind of what it looks like. Um, and also, um, we get a glimpse of Don Corneo's mansion, which we did see as well, but we saw it more up close, I guess, in the gameplay mm. uh, when we got the gameplay trailer of the cross dressing scene. So yes. it's kind of like it's further away now. Um, and it looks really beautiful. It looks like. It looks like how you said, like how I imagine Golden Saucer would look if Golden Saucer was Wall Market kind of thing, because mm -hmm. they did put more lighting. Like in the original, they did have this as well, but it's just more fleshed out where they have like the lighting and just kind of like the posters and ads and stuff like that. Um, I think they did a really great job of portraying that this is kind of the... It's like the place to go, I feel like, the nightlife scene, you know, in yes, the slums. Definitely. Like, people, this is where they go, you know, for the yeah. nightlife stuff. And, um, yeah, I just think it looks really cool. It does, definitely. It's, it's so lively and so illuminating. Like, like it's not quite Chinatown, but uh, it's, it's uh, mm -hmm. like a Japanese version. Like, the, um, if you've ever been to Japan, there are lots of uh, streets, especially in... Ah, where is it? what's it called again? Is it Sh is Shinjuku? What? Sh I think it was Shinjuku, yeah. I I kind of have to have the name scramble in my head right now, but we've been there and it's there's Shibuya it's really, too. So Shibuya too, Shinjuku nightlife there is just mm -hmm. neon lights everywhere and so many ads and posters and stuff. It's it's crazy. This looks like just a. Uh, 
a smaller version of a smaller town because it's it's also built on on a it says built on the ruins of this collapsed sector six plate. Wall Market is Midgar's biggest and most infamous entertainment quarter. Mm-hmm. We, as we said, uh, the remix version of the Gold Saucer in Midgar. It seems. Yeah, the sign that says Wall Market has. It looks like uh, a windmill, like it's in the shape of a windmill. It has, yeah, yeah, which is really cool. And then it has what is that? Is that a missile or missile? It or looks. Whatever? It looks like a, a, a missile or a, a drop bomb or something. Yeah, maybe. Maybe a, uh, something from the Wu-Tai War, Corneo or someone. Um, oh, could be. Uh, took as leftovers, as, as loot or something, and just put it there. It also kind of looks like it goes underwater because it looks like it has a fan oh, on a the Oh, a torpedo. Back. Yeah, yeah. True, that could be too. Right. Like you said, from the Wu-Tai the... War, maybe it's yeah. from, from, from Wu-Tai because yeah. the water, like aspect right so yeah leviathan stuff mm-hmm. also i get the feeling that there are so many trinkets from the wutai war stashed here in, mm-hmm. in corneo's mansion and outside because they're even outside of the corneo coliseum it's uh, the next screenshot here mm-hmm. there are those statues with the serpents yeah. um circling around it really looks like uh also the whole wall market part and how it's, it's it looks japanese and we know that Wutai, Wutai looks kind of Japanese too. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure uh, Corneo or someone else built Wall Market in the shape of of Wutai with all the the loot and the riches they they took mm-hmm. from the war. That's my guess, anyway. And I'm, it could very well be because Wutai seems to be, have a place in the lore of Midgar, even. Yeah. So you might remember President Shinra uh, mentions mentions it in his speech before Airbuster, before the Airbuster fight, and say, uh, proclaims that uh, Avalanche is uh, allies with Wu Tai or something like that. And in the th- theme song trailer, in one of the dialogues, which is here overlaid over battles, we hear Barrett saying something about uh, Avalanche ain't. Ain't no, no Wu Tai or anybody or something like that, and mm-hmm. yeah, it looks like Wu Tai has a bigger presence here. And it could be that, as I said, War Market is kind of an example of uh, like what Wu Tai once was or had, which makes me curious to see Wu Tai in in part two. If it's how run down is it? Is it just just a, a tourist uh, attraction as? Uh, the original set it was um is it missing so many statues and stuff or it's uh something to ponder about all right so we got some screenshots of honeybee in as well like we talked about um previously the outside and then also the inside on stage it says that every night audiences are dazzled by the honeybee inn's gorgeous cast of honey girls and boys um and then also like um we got to look at the entrance where the front desk is and there's honeybee girls standing on both sides of the desk and there's a desk click there and then we got some closer some screenshots sorry of Aerith and tifa in their dresses and tifa seems to be in uh corneo's dungeon Whatever that is, torture or sex dungeon or something like that, just mm-hmm. at the, uh, the the cellar down there. 
because on the on the left you see parts of of a cage and some tools in yeah. the back yeah it's creepy it says also that I something I thought was interesting. It says each character has multiple costumes. So oh yeah, yeah, that's cool too. This means Tifa too, and which leads me to believe that we play Tifa's part as well and get her dressed up. Really, really stoked for that. What's also interesting is I originally didn't want to bring it up and save it for the video, but in uh, in the documentary there's a short scene showing uh, Leslie Kyle. Mm -hmm. So uh, it looks like he has something in his hand. And just a few frames at the start of this this clip, we see Tifa pulling away her hand from his hand, so as as if he, uh, she gives him something in his in the hand. And it looks like they both are in this room here because there's a ceiling and also has some as a spotlight at the ceiling, which looks like this one okay. here. But I can't say for sure. Maybe it's another uh, another part. But it's yeah, it's quite interesting. Either it's before or it's after they uh, switch back to their normal outfits. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. All right, and then we got to look at Beginner's Hall. It says Beginner's Hall is a location where you can learn the basics of weapon enhancement. Um, there's a weapon shop on the ground floor. And then on the second floor, it's used as a base of operations for the Neighborhood Watch, which is Avalanche, I'm assuming. Avalanche and others too, I assume. Uh, you might remember in the screenshot with right. uh, that they got introduced us to Chadley and mm -hmm. a few other people with uh, rifles in the back. So those are probably just also part of the Neighborhood Watch. Mm -hmm. And most likely also the people that help Avalanche uh, defend the Sector 7 support pillar. Yeah. We've got a new feature here. It's showing Jukebox. So it says while you wander around town, you'll be able to come across areas um, playing special music. You can get these songs as music discs from shops or citizens, and then you can play them whenever you want. Mm, really nice feature. I, li I like that. I always like it when uh, games include the own, its own soundtrack in-game. Uh, mm -hmm. in so that's, that's one aspect I really loved about Final Fantasy XV and the car. Yeah, I like that too. And I really hope we get to hear, to listen to other Final Fantasy VII tracks from the compilation. It would be pretty cool. Like for nostalgia's sake. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's also interesting is they said um, you may come across areas playing special music. This got me thinking. In one of the wall market screens, um, it... Ah, it was the one where we see the the windmill pretty clear. There's a there's a cold drinks, bar, a bar of sorts, which mm -hmm. also has a sign saying potion, I think, with all those colorful uh, bottles for sale. It has it has a speaker, mm -hmm. pretty big speaker right next to it, and I'm I'm assuming it plays. Familiar music, maybe from other Final Fantasies, maybe some, one from the original. And it could be that when we get close and we hear that, then uh, an icon pops up uh, telling us, oh, we, you can listen to this at uh, Jukebox. Mm -hmm. Maybe. It says once collected, you can play any disc on any Jukebox. Yeah. So it's like they have multiple Jukeboxes yep. in different places so that you can listen to... Yeah. And they have one in 7th Heaven. 
of course, there and one in Sector 5 somewhere. Maybe this guy or sick has one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and one in sector sector six, of course, it must it has to, and probably also one, some one somewhere on the floors in Shinra HQ, mm -hmm. maybe on the, the the first or second floor where the uh, the item shop is, or maybe even above floor sixty somewhere. Could be in in the gym area, recreation area. It would fit too. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Music is always great. We then got a closer look at Leviathan. Uh, I don't think anything new was um, shown, just pictures. And then it just says that uh, worshipped as a deity in the Wutai region, this non-elemental summon takes the form of a water serpent. So it's interesting that it says non-elemental. Yeah, definitely. This It makes sense because um, when you uh, open the key, the, uh, the icon key menu or display in the mm -hmm. demo. You can see so many icons and descriptions, and some of them are the elements, and there's no water element. And if there was a water element, I'm pretty sure it would be listed there. So there's not, okay. but they wanted to include Leviathan probably because of the Wutai lore they wanted to include, so it makes sense to include it here, but without any element because, well, there's no water element. Mm -hmm. That's my guess anyway. And it's also interesting what it says down below here. Leviathan evokes a savage beauty as it rises from the briny depths, generating tidal waves that wash foes away. So it is <laughs> water-based attack, but non-elemental. It's, I don't know, it's weird. But yeah, looking forward to that summon. Mm-hmm, same. Yeah. So it seems we're through it with a general overview, but I still have a few, mm -hmm. a few notes here. One of the materia, one of the item shops, or I think the one that sells items and materia in Sector 7, there's, uh, there's the guy selling it, and we've seen that in, uh, in the list of quests, side quests. Oh, the ones okay. That, the, ones with, the one with the rat problem, it's the right. same. And comparing the interior with the original render, it has so many uh, similar elements. Like the boiler thing, whatever that is, the uh, the counter and shelves, it's pretty cool. They really try to keep keep it really, really close to the original, just expand it heavily. Mm -hmm. uh, we skipped over before uh, over the battle arena before. Um, there's one screenshot uh, that that shows battle arena. Also, another point that makes Wall Market the gold saucer of part one. And what's interesting is we we get to uh, to fight against blood taste, which I think is 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 the blood blood taste in sector five. I can't remember where it uh, appears. Same. But uh, yeah, it it looks like it's the red dog is a blood taste, and the other one is an, an assassin like. Yeah, it says uh, sector five. It's sector five, right? So uh, my memory was correct. Uh, and I think this assassin-like enemy could be a reinterpretation of the vice enemy, which is also uh, a thief in Sector 5. Mm -hmm. But they have those weird face masks and are more opulent and uh, have a belly. And here they're completely different, but it could be the same enemy. We don't know. But they look pretty cool. 
and it seems to be just the first round or first tournament. Like it says, record, first tournament, and it looks like there are multiple tournaments we can uh, uh, go through in a row. Like, there's a record how many tournaments we can win in a row, and maybe uh, increase the reward the higher we come. Hard to say with just one screenshot, but it's uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it looks really cool. There's people in the stands that are cheering. Yeah, yeah. Like, little... You can see them. They're zoomed out, but looks pretty awesome. I can't wait to do this. I think it's going to be really cool. Oh yeah, and I I also can can see them uh, playing playing the cheering sound effects uh, like louder when you play nice and like oh if you get hit mm -hmm. and the, yeah when you uh, <laughs> execute a limit attack, limit break attack or something. I really hope they play around with the crowd a little bit more and. Yeah, if, if mentioned before, there's the beginner's hall, and also we uh, get a glimpse at the weapon shop downstairs, which, lo which looks also practically the same as in the original, just with less light. Like the fence around and the boxes and the safe, so also the same. What I, uh, I am a little bit of apprehensive about is this um, beginner's hall room with all the boxes and stuff, with uh, the burly man and the children and all the other characters that you. That you teach them how to uh, do battles at limit breaks and stuff. They don't seem to be there right now, so either they completely uh, eradicated that part, or just um, distrib distributed those tutorial parts over the game and not just uh, concentrated in okay. one part. It could be. Yeah, the original had this as the main tutorial room and later another tutorial room in Junon. And since we now get tutorials on the fly when something new appears, I don't think it's this is needed anymore. So, yeah, it makes sense to remodel this room into something different. That makes sense to the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's all I have to say for the screenshots. Mm -hmm. There's nothing we have missed. So, yeah, let's keep going. All right, guys, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be chatting about the five new Japanese TVCMs that were released for the remake, also the Road to PS5 presentation, as well as our thoughts about how the PS5 may impact the Final Fantasy VII remake, all that and more after this. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 10 of the Reunion and FF7R podcast. This is Kairosis, your host, and I'm here once again with my incredible co-host, Viz. We are talking about the five new Japanese TVCMs that were released. Um, I just wanted to quickly give my opinion about them, so I really liked them. Uh, a lot of them featured the same characters in that short story, like that mini movie that we got that had the live actors that were portraying the Final Fantasy VII impact on their lives and how some of them never played the games before. Do you remember? It was like a story trailer viz and it was Japanese. And I think that you had watched this and did a, a rough summary of what we got. Um, this was a while ago, I think on their second or third episode. Something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I remember. 
So there was five in total. So I'm pretty sure four out of the five were just short little TV spots featuring those people talking about the game, but it was in Japanese and there were no subtitles. So I don't know what they were saying. Okay. And then there was obviously one that had a huge spoilery moment that I'm not going to go into, but unfortunately I haven't learned my lesson yet, apparently (laughs) from scrolling through Twitter because uh, the video just auto played on my Twitter feed for the podcast because I was just posting new things. Like I'm trying to be more active on social media for the podcast. So I've been retweeting things and posting things uh, more consistently there. And I did scroll down and I did see it and I thought it was fake. A lot of pe- people in the comments were screaming that it was fake. So I didn't know what to think basically. And I thought it was fake. And then eventually it did appear on the Square Enix Japanese YouTube channel and I did rewatch it. So it's real. So anyway. Oh boy. Yeah. <sighs> Sad to say, I've been spoiled a little bit about that because um, we use TweetDeck to schedule our fun facts and analysis gems on Twitter. And TweetDeck also shows if you want uh, your Twitter feed and like comments and likes and everything. We had it activated. It's just by default and didn't really think much about it. And then one day I just opened it and the topmost post of the feed that's that's placed there, uh, just right next to the button that says tweet, which yeah. we have to press, of course, to uh, compose the tweet. Uh, there was a post by someone I follow. I've uh, had to unfortunately unfollow that person just for to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, the posted four images the, uh, of this spoilery scene. Of course, the images were really tiny. Yeah. So they kind of looked like uh, Advent Children comparison images or something. So yeah. I didn't look away immediately. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought too. I thought it was. I thought it was somebody that made. Like, the, it was just a fan-made thing, and then they just put scenes from like Advent that. Children yeah, in. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah, so. and then I, I saw uh, the post itself was only, like, two words or something, like, uh, I, I don't remember, like, what the F or something like that. Okay. And then it dawned on me, oh, is that from, <laughs> is that from the, from the thing, from the, from the commercial? And, of yeah. course, I've, I've already seen a little bit, a glimpse of it, and then, oh. Eyes avert uh, immediately deleted mm-hmm. those those sections <laughs> or removed those sections, so we now only have the scheduled section in the tweet deck. And yeah, so I haven't seen it in in motion. I haven't seen or heard what they were saying. Just those little small little thumbnails. Yeah. And so I'm trying to erase those <laughs> out of my my out memory after this podcast, so that I can still go in fresh. Mm-hmm. But it's for me. It's not too bad because I haven't seen the actual moving images. But it's still, ugh, yeah. I, I mean, we I don't have that. any context because we no, don't no, know how really, they're changing really. the story. So it's just yeah. a little flash of something. But people who've yeah. never played the game before, who don't know the story, have no idea what's happening. So yeah, they they don't care. Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. So we did get a Road to PS Five presentation that Sony uh, live streamed to their YouTube channel, PlayStation. Uh, YouTube channel recently. I think it was like a few days ago. Um, I did watch the entire thing live. People were saying that it was a mistake. 
I don't think that it was a mistake. I know, I mean, I, I knew going into it that it was basically going to be their GDC presentation because GDC has been canceled, as you all know, due to the coronavirus. And this was them showing more of the stats and the specifics uh, of the PS5. And I think that they were doing this for potential and existing uh, developers, right? So they're sharing the specs. They're talking about the... Uh, technology behind the systems that are going to be in the PS5 so that the develop, game developer game developers know that, you know, what they're working with and also how how easy it's going to be basically to be able to develop for this for this machine, right? So obviously there was a lot of technical jargon. Um, I am a pretty technical person. I'm not a computer programmer. I'm not a computer engineer, but I, you know, know a lot about technology. So um, I did understand a lot of what they were talking about. I'm just going to list the PS5 specs that they listed. So it says that they it has the CPU as an AMD Zen 2 based CPU with eight cores at 3.5 gigahertz. The GPU uh, is 10.28 teraflops, um, 36 CUs at 2.23 gigahertz, variable frequency. Same thing as the CPU. The architecture on the GPU is uh, custom RDNA uh, 2. It's got 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 256-bit um, um, memory, and then its memory bandwidth is 448 gigabytes per second. Internal storage, it's got a custom SSD at 825 gigabytes. Um, it says that its throughput for the SSD is 5.5 gigabits per second, typical 8 to 9 uh, compressed gigabits per second, and it does have expandable storage slot. Uh, you can plug in an ex- external uh, USB drive to it, uh, but it says it's only capable to use the USB uh, support drive for PS4 games, and it has a, U- a UHD 4K Blu-ray drive. So that's a lot of information. So basically, it's really powerful system, and I pulled some of the super interesting things that I thought. So the custom uh, SSD is a huge deal for me because... Uh, for a few reasons. So basically, I looked online for a summary of why this would be important. So I pulled this from Tech Radar, uh, basically, which was an article that they were talking about the importance of the SSD. So it says uh, SSDs don't just load faster, but they also allow for bigger open worlds. Theoretically, developers don't need to make games with smaller worlds due to the limitations on mechanical hard drives while the SSDs also allow system memory to be used more effectively. Um, It says SSDs have more bandwidth, so data can be loaded from the SSD when it's needed, instead of potentially needless data being loaded into RAM. In pure gameplay terms, that means that games will suffer less from texture pop-in, load-in times will be hugely reduced uh, when using a game's fast travel option, booting up from standby should also be generally much faster. So that for me is super interesting and, you know, it has a crazy amount of memory. It has the same amount of memory as my desktop computer, but my desktop computer is about five years old now. So <laughs> like I don't have GDR, GDDR6 memory in my computer, you know, like this is a thing like, and also what Mark Cerny said in the presentation that was super interesting that I thought was the fact that you can buy your own SSD um, and upgrade if you don't want to use the proprietary one which uh, is super cool, but it doesn't even exist right now in a computer store. Like you can't even go and buy one 
third party that would be able to work with the PS5 right now because it's so advanced, the technology. Because I think it's PCIe uh, 4 that they're using for that. And yep. it's not even like exists yet. But by the time the console comes out, they're hoping that they will be uh, released so you'll be able to buy your own third third party SSDs. Anyway, so people were saying that it was a mistake because they really wanted gameplay and they wanted more marketing. Like, how is this thing going to affect me as a consumer and as a, as a gamer, right? They didn't show any of that. Um, I think that that's fine for now because Xbox kind of already did their whole spiel about the specs and everything. Um, and I think that this was them doing that. And now going forward, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, marketing like the marketing machine for the PS5 is going to start and we're going to see more, I guess, screenshots and gameplay um, and trailers just featuring like how the technology is going to impact gamers, basically. So the whole time that I was watching this, I was just thinking about, honestly, how this is going to impact the remake. And I was <laughs> thinking, obviously being on the podcast, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about. So I'm thinking that like, how is it going to impact the future parts of the game and also what they're going to do with backwards compatibility with, like, the first part of the remake that we're getting? It's coming out at the end of the PS4's life cycle and the PS5 is going to... The life cycle for the PS5, hopefully it'll be released the beginning... Or it's the beginning of 2021, right? Like, holiday 2021. So... I'm just I was just thinking about are they going to port over the PS4 version to the PS5 and just give it like an HD texture pack or are they just going to have something that you can download when you put the PS4 game into the PS5? So, I think that it's going to really increase the potential for the open world aspect of the other parts of the remake because once we leave Midgar like the world opens up, it's still like you're still funneled to parts of the story that you have to do. Uh, like you're trapped, right? Like you can't go over any part of the terrain in the original Final Fantasy VII. Obviously, like you get the the tiny Bronco and a Chocobo, which allows you to traverse other areas and stuff like that. But just the possibilities with this new console and the new technology that they're going to be able to create, I guess, with the further parts of the remake, it's just... I can't even begin to fathom, I guess, like, picture it in my mind. I just see it as being crazy advanced and super awesome and more, like, larger open world and probably more advanced AI for NPCs, you know? And no no more texture pop-in, no more loading screens. And especially, too, yeah. with the audio chip. I didn't even touch about the audio chip, right? Because they're doing the whole thing where they're creating, like, uh, virtual surround and they're doing research where he said that you they're going to ask people to take pictures of their ears and all this stuff. Yeah, to get their to get their ear profile so that the the 3D sound can be uh perfectly matched with their ears so you really feel you're in the game you hear the, all the sounds from exactly the points that the, the develop, developers want you to hear the sounds. Exactly. Which is pretty cool. Just imagine though like already with the type of music that we're getting in this game and we talked about this at length already how the transitions are so incredible and they've recorded like five or six different versions of the songs depending on the situation and imagine though like with this sound chip you know when you're playing it's like you're inside of the game and then mm. it's just going to feel so incredible i think that it's just going to be astounding what they're going to be able to achieve so 
Yeah, especially with uh, with all the dialogue, like you're running around and Barrett and Jesse talk to you. And right now, it kind of feels like they're always around at the same location, maybe behind you, maybe before you, a little bit farther away. But mm-hmm. with that, they can actually implement the exact uh, distance and orientation or define exact distance and orientation for where the characters are and you actually hear them where they are, not just, oh, it's roughly to the right, roughly to the left. Mm-hmm. Because usually uh, you can you can screw it up if you... Like if you're too far away from a character, you barely hear the character. And if this this character is with you and has something important to say, you don't hear it if you if you're running ahead. So this is why I liked the remix approach. That yes, characters are a little bit quieter when they're farther away, but just by a little, so that you can still hear them. But with this new technology, I think that's that's there's much more fine tuning possible that it still feels natural, mm-hmm. but not too far away so that you don't hear people talking so that's that's one aspect the other aspect is with uh, s- um sound emitters like for example in wall market with uh the, the speakers i saw at the, the potion vendor mm-hmm. like when you come close uh it's it's really will feel like a speaker not just oh there's a, a sound coming from around this area so no it's exactly that speaker that uh emits the sound Mm-hmm. And uh, the tracks. So this is what I'm looking forward to, almost the most. I, I, I'd say that, and the smooth, the smoothness with uh, extremely fast loading times, uh, and the optimi- optimization with uh, data loading. I find found it interesting how he explained it. Like uh, in in uh, unusual hard disk drives, you usually want to to have data that will be loaded together, uh, also be close to each other so that you can just load a whole block and everything you need is inside there. But it can be that assets have, will be um, part of this building and part of the other area and part of that, like reused assets. And if you want to be able to load whole blocks of data, you'd have to make mul- multiple copies of the same assets that are uh, presented in many, many different areas of the game so that it, it really blows up the whole uh, data that the game takes up. Mm-hmm. So you can save on data first and foremost if if uh, the position or the location of the data on disk doesn't really matter at, at all. And you're not uh, you're not obligated to like load the specific part of of the of the data of the block, this special location, you can just save it anywhere, load it, whatever you want, and it works and it's fast. Mm-hmm. And this is is something I'm really looking forward to, like the, the overall performance, how it feels. And I think if uh, if loading into memory also works much better, if loading times times are less, maybe the overall performance like uh, frames per second and stuff will might also increase especially with uh, all the texture streaming and stuff and less pop-ins yeah and i think you've touched on a little bit but uh, it it looks like from a purely power perspective and let's say resolution to fps there doesn't seem to be like this much of a jump in generation yeah 
One huge part is uh, what they've already advertised la last year, I think, uh, with all the ray tracing, which should vastly improve uh, lighting. It's ray tracing. That there's uh, other other stuff as well. I can't quite remember. Plus the audio, the 3D audio. And but I'm still hoping for native 4K and 60 FPS, like as as a standard for most um, mm -hmm. PS PS5 games. That would be cool because nowadays. Uh, checkerboard upscaled to 4K from let's say 1440 or 1600 or even uh, 1800 pixels, uh, and 30 FPS is usually the norm. Sometimes 60, but usually not. And when you uh, bump it up to 60, you have to sacrifice resolution and renders only at at uh, HD at 1080. So it's a trade-off, but I'm pretty sure this trade-off doesn't have to be made anymore with the PS5. Of course, PC Master Race, 165 hertz or something <laughs> like that, and 8K, blah, but yeah, you also pay three or four, $4,000 instead of just 400 yeah. or 500. So, yeah. I think what we're going to see, I think we're just going to see, like you said, it's going to be more of a streamline of what we're already used to, but also yep. we're going to see a lot better lighting and a more immersive experience, basically, which is going to bring it to the yeah. next level of gaming, basically. Oh, of course, yeah. It's kind of uh, um, similar f with the VR. VR is also a complete different experience, but still still in kids' shoes, as we would like to say. Mm -hmm. um, but this is, like, the same overall gaming experience. You're still sitting on a couch or on your gaming chair and playing on the same monitor, playing in the same situation so to speak but i think especially if you have headphones on they said they will optimize it for sound bars and tv speakers as well and uh, surround sound systems but i think uh, headphones are still best suited for this new 3d sound because um, it is predictable how it enters your ear you don't have to sit in a specific a specific spot you can just uh, lay down sit up it's yeah. still the same and you're also like isolated from from the outside exactly not everyone has a an own room that uh, and can close the doors sometimes uh, you're in the living room and people are all all, all are all around you and you just want to be left alone put on headphones and you're good and the experience is great you don't even need a, a vr headset to be like extremely immersed in it mm -hmm. it seems so yeah all those bottlenecks that have played ps3 and ps4 especially should go away. Yeah, uh, Mark Cerny had mentioned that basically in the past, their thought process was that they they didn't have variable um, GPU and CPU. They just had it mm -hmm. locked, and then the power was variable. But now they did the opposite. So the power right. is actually yep. just a standard like set preset power amount. Um, mm -hmm. to like a maximum amount and the GPU frequency and the CPU frequency are variable depending on like the load, right? So, but there's virtually like no bottleneck anymore. Basically, they said that they, they've eliminated that. So like you said, I'm just hoping for an improved experience of what we're already used to. Like, for example, with the remake, I have a PS4 Pro. It's not running in 60 FPS. Like, I just want to nope. be able to play it even in 1080p just... 60 fps like i just want that like 4k 60 fps would be amazing i have a 4k tv if it's native 4k 
Yes, yeah, I really hope we're gonna get that. I don't know if we're gonna get it. I I hope so, but uh, like I I'm just even if it's just like 1440p at 60 fps you know like i'm i'm okay with that but it depends some people don't care about any of that stuff right they just want it to be fast and uh you're definitely gonna see it being fast so definitely yeah what's also interesting is uh, about what mark cerny said uh with the inverse thinking about power and uh, frequency is uh Mm -hmm. You notice it especially in during God of War and the map in Horizon Zero Dawn. Right. It's a PS4 turned into a, a jet jet engine, <laughs> so to speak. It's it was crazy, and this should also be mitigated as much mm-hmm. as possible, as they see they said. They invested also in a good um, good fan system or cooling mm-hmm. system. Uh, what I've read is usually uh, per unit you don't. Um, pay more than a dollar for for the cooling system per unit in in total and apparently for the ps4 uh the cooling system uh costs around three or four dollars each uh, for, per unit and i hope i get i got the numbers right i don't have it here right now mm-hmm. but this this looks to be like real investment uh in parts or in the areas that really need improvement like the the loudness and the noise of the of the machine, the cooling system, the load times, um, like how immersive it it feels with the lighting and the audio and stuff. So mm-hmm. really, they're focusing on the experience first and foremost, not just raw power and resolution and frames and uh, yeah. everything like that. So. I'm pretty confident in, in this uh, console so far. And this is also why I don't think it was a mistake. I've heard from other people that uh, they didn't like it, that uh, it was boring and blah, it was a disaster. But I don't see it because if you just paid attention, this was made, as you said, at GDC, a games de- developer conf- game developer conference presentation. But they had to move it somewhere else because, yeah, the virus and stuff. So of course it's it's um, aimed at developers. Of course it's technical. Of course it, they won't uh, present their games and stuff, and uh, for because it's not meant for the consumer. Mm-hmm. It's meant for game developers. So I don't really know what the fuss is about. Maybe most <laughs> of them just, just didn't really it didn't really click that this was a, a conference for developers only, or at least directed at developers. But yeah. Um, me, I'm I'm a software developer and I've dabbled in uh, game development too. I studied game design, but then couldn't work on in that field. Mm-hmm. So I just uh, programmed stuff for myself, but never really finished the project because I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I know a little bit about the stuff and I'm interested in all the technical details and what's possible. So for me, it was perfect. I, yeah, I yeah. watched it while uh, cooking, while eating. It was it was a nice time. Uh, other people maybe just wanted to see cool stuff uh, making of uh, Last of Us 2 with uh, performance stuff like this one. Wasn't it in the in a Wired interview where uh, Mark Cerny showed um, uh, the loading times between or the difference between yes, yes. PS4 Pro and PS5? Yeah, it was like uh, Spider-Man. 
yeah, or Spider-Man. Maybe something like that, but even more like practical examples. They probably thought it would be something like that, like, uh, oh, we have a presentation and this is what, what it could be and this is how it looks like and this is how fast it is and this is the FPS and this is the resolution yeah. and this is that and, well, it wasn't. Deal with it. <laughs> That's all I can say, really. So, yeah, they said it up front. It's, it's, it was meant to be at GDC. That should tell you everything. So do you think we're going to get, like... Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake for PS5, or do you think we're gonna get like a backwards compatibility, just the PS4 version with like an HD texture pack or something? Or um, there was an interview with Matsuda, I think was his last name, Matsuda son. Anyway, um, I think it says it said something along along the lines of um. Part two will be for PS5, but not only there will also it will also run on PS4 Pro. So uh, it seems like they won't just jump ship and go PS5 exclusively. So that the, the those people who don't buy the PS5 within the first two years or so don't get shafted because they played the first part on PS4 and should be able to play the second part of PS4 too. Mm -hmm. So it's like it's, on a, it's on a cross-generational thing like uh, with Assassin's Creed Black Flag and others, and which uh, had both versions. I just hope they are able to really make use of the new hardware and just tone everything down so it works on PS4. Mm -hmm. So they first and foremost develop it for the new hardware and not the old one and just spruce it up for the new one because then it's not really a new generation. It's just yeah, a, a exactly. weird hybrid. That's all I hope. And I'm pretty sure we also, we'll also get a patch of sorts which uh, just bumps up quality, maybe uh, text resolution, output resolution, lighting. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, as, as I've heard, even if you don't do anything and uh, developers don't provide a patch, PS4 games should um natively get a boost especially with uh when it's installed on the on an ssd and with the improved power of course but mm -hmm. not as efficiently so when uh developers publish a patch i'm pretty sure they can make use of the new hardware without having to completely remaster the game yeah, people were saying on that article, um, the Tech Radar article, that uh, they were disappointed because they're achieving backwards compatibility through emulation, um, mm. which is not what Xbox, the new Xbox console is doing, because the new Xbox console is actually upscaling it, but also adding HDR to the older games. It's not just going to be a performance boost. So it'll be interesting to see what they're able to do. And also, I'm sure that they waited this long to release all of these specs for the console because they were waiting for Microsoft also to just go first, right? So they can see, Pretty sure, oh yeah. gosh, we have to change this. We have to like, you know, which is the way that companies are for competition. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's fine. I think that it's good. So we'll see what happens anyway. Yeah. Although um, I'm pretty sure this uh, waiting for Xbox to make their turn or to make the move is only to maybe change marketing strategies because changing uh, stuff so short, shortly before release, which uh, an, uh, a year before the supposed release of the console in this 
part you can't really change much anymore mm-hmm. because it needs to everything needs to already work and be locked into place so production can begin and testing and maybe tweaking yeah so too much uh, changing anything or improving memory or clock speed is probably another thing that's even possible without right um delaying the release or going through through Q&A and QA again again and again so it's probably just a marketing thing that they know how to market it and mm-hmm. where to where to get get the consumers how how to convince them to buy their product like where to put emphasis on and stuff that's my guess anyway mhm all right, so it looks like E3 was canceled. This is kind of old news now, but uh, Square Enix did post a message with their reaction, I guess, to E3 being canceled. And it did state at the end, uh, it says that we're exploring other options to share our games with you. More to come. Stay tuned. So do you think we're going to get more of a Nintendo Direct or a State of Play style presentation from Square Enix? Yeah, it could be. Honestly, I think that honestly, it signifies the end of E3, in my opinion. It's kind of like coronavirus yeah. just killed E3. Like, <laughs> e- I think that E3 was like, this was basically, in my opinion, E3's last year. And yeah, now likely. it's canceled. And I just don't see, because now everybody is going to be forced to move to an online platform to Mostly, promote yeah. their games going forward if this whole self-isolation and whole everything that's going on if it continues for a while then they're probably not going to opt to go to e3 anymore if they already have to spend money on developing a platform to be able to do this or whatever so yeah it's just that's what i think i think it's just going to be developers or uh publishers just coming up with their own way of kind of advertising and marketing their games online and giving uh their consumers an update. Uh didn't E3 all already wanted to uh change their their uh concept and paradigm so to speak like uh put more emphasis on influencers and gamers and less uh being about a press conference as it was originally meant to be. Yeah, they've been trying to do that more recently because yeah. they've opened it up to people that, like, consumers can just buy tickets and you can just go. Yeah. Like, before, it was a closed event, like, only mm-hmm. for hardware yeah, exactly. developers and game developers and publishers. And mm. um, But they're trying to... I mean, they have no other choice if they want to survive, but I just don't yeah. know if people are going to be wanting to go to these types of yeah. things I, I'm, I'm just not sure not like sure I, either yeah they could do an e3 online ticket for something like how they have blizzcon online you know but even that is going downhill so anyway it'll be interesting to see <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm not that knowledgeable uh, in general but listening to sacred symbols podcasts opened my eyes a little bit because uh uh, Colin Moriarty is pretty knowledgeable in all things PlayStation and E3 and Gamescom and all that that, that stuff. Uh, but just from my own perspective, I usually just tune into E3 to uh, see the press conferences mm-hmm. of Sony and Ubisoft and whatever, to just see what they have in store for us, uh, what news, new Square games Enix. are there. <clears throat> Square Enix, of course, yeah. That's, that's true, Square Enix. Um, just... Everything, 
just be just, just to be up to date and uh yeah ever since uh, 2015 of course square enix mm-hmm. was the main reason yeah um but that's pos- also possible online even either state of play or nintendo direct uh, yeah. version or li- streaming live but from a studio or uh there's so so many different possibilities with uh Square's already done that with 15, like we already talked about. They did those live updates and they streamed live to their YouTube channel. I mean, like, anybody can do this now. So it's just... Yeah, yeah. So those press conferences on site are not needed anymore. They cost a lot of money, a lot of preparation that Mm -hmm. is taken away from development time because developers have to prepare a trailer. They have to prepare an experience, maybe even uh, uh, show floor demonstrations or... uh, it's true. Demos and and yeah, with uh, with all this, all the the virus fear going going around, that opens also your eyes uh, when you think about being at those conventions with all those people, so many people on uh, at one place, and everyone touching the controls and the VR yeah, headsets and stuff, and sweat everywhere and. Disease can spread so fast. Mm-hmm. It's true. And all, also, it's kind of gross to be to be honest, because that's that's one reason why I don't like those conventions. I've been at, on some, mm-hmm. not the big ones, but it's it's not really my thing anyway. So I stay at home and look from home. But some interviews are also pretty cool, and the E3 Coliseum was also really nice. But the, again, this is. This is all possible online with uh, studios. We can you can invite people. There are only a few people on stage, and they're just talking there, making interviews, and stream it into the ether, the internet. Everything is fine. Less cost, less um, effort, more yeah. time to develop games. So I don't know. E three is first to go. Which one is next? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, GameStop. Yeah, that's true. GameStop is, <laughs> is has been doomed for years now. We all, we all, we're all waiting until it really uh, hits the the bucket or kicks yeah. the bucket. <laughs> Did you see that they were forced to be closed because they yep. refused because they deemed themselves <laughs> yeah, as an essential service? But then they yeah. ended up getting closed. Yeah, it was anyway. funny. Like, we are essential. We need games to be played in times like these. Well, we can play. We can buy them online. And we, we appreciate that. Them, so. We appreciate that, <laughs> yeah. GameStop. We really do. Yeah, but, sure, we do. But no, but don't take care don't... of your employees first. Yeah. Okay, please, yeah, of course. please. This was kind of a dick move, in my opinion. But it was fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so on to our next thing, talking about uh, shipment woes here on Amazon. So uh, it looks like. The Final Fantasy Saturn remake uh, Twitter account did post um, a few messages here just talking about the shipment of the game. It says that the worldwide release of Final Fantasy Seven remake on April uh, 10th will go ahead. However, with the unsurf- unforeseeable changes in the distribution and retail landscape, which varies across countries, it is increasingly likely that some of you will not get a hold of your copy of the game on release date. So they did provide an update um, on the 20th. That basically just says um, the same thing that uh, it says the pandemic is increasingly likely to affect distribution and retail landscape in Europe, Australia, and the Americas. So that's pretty much 
everywhere. Yep. Um, so, and then people were basically showing screenshots of their Amazon sh- shipment, like pre-order shipments for the remake. And they've been updated with a different date, or they said they were given a warning saying that they would get it after release date. So p- a lot of people were canceling their pre-orders and I understand. Buying it digitally, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand. Like, you know, for me, I, I bought the first class edition and it's coming in the mail. And when I get it, I get it. But I also pre-ordered a digital copy. So I don't care because I'm buying both. And I know that a lot of people are doing the same thing. But for those mm-hmm. of you who don't want to wait for the shipment, uh, possibly being late, then obviously, yeah, go ahead, cancel your pre-order and order it um, digitally if you're okay with not having that that kind of keepsake and also you can't afford to buy two copies of the game some people can't afford yeah, that, that. games are expensive right so but i do appreciate um them kind of reaching out to let everybody know that potentially this is going to happen so um and and you know the shipment system like the mail system is strange right now because a lot of people have moved to online purchasing for their stuff mm-hmm. because all the stores have been closed so you know and a lot of the borders are closed now too but you know the governments have to do what they have to do to stop the spread of this thing so that people can be safe and um, and stay healthy. And I understand that. So it's a little disappointing, but I'm just happy that the game isn't pushed back and that it actually is still coming out on the 10th. So wouldn't make any sense to push back anyway, because it's 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 uh, gone gold. It's probably already certified and ready for uh, for distribution and maybe already uploaded to the PSN that it's ready to be downloaded hopefully a few days early, like the preload. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just the physical release that's affected because uh, retailers and uh, uh, sh- shipment is, or the postal system is overloaded, as he said, because most people don't get them from the stores themselves. They just order it online, have to order so many things online now because it's yeah. the only thing that they get. Um, like here in Switzerland, Everything has been closed for a week now. Yeah. Completely closed. Like, we have... We c- of course, we can still buy food. And we can still go to the apothe- apothecary. Yeah. Uh, but, like, everything outside of the essentials that we need to live and take care of ourselves? Nope. Everything online. Because that still still works. And uh, companies can mm-hmm. take precautions when shipping stuff. So. This should shouldn't affect much, but again, it's overloaded. Like the te- telephone system here in Switzerland was also overloaded. Yeah. Like people keep keep calling their loved ones and and everyone, and it yeah, it really takes a toll on some services that usually are are fine, but when double the load comes, that they're not fine anymore. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just think that also just like people pre-ordering the game at retail shops as well, like, that's concerning because you have to leave your house to go and pick it up. Yes. Right? So, like, why put yourself at risk? Like, it's not worth it. You know, it's just not. So just stay home, buy it digitally, or if you're having it shipped to you, just just leave it or just cancel it and get it digitally. And then you can still order it physically later, but I just don't know how many deluxe editions they're going to have laying around, if they're going to continue to make those or not. Like, that's another question, yeah. Yeah, like there's a lot of um, first class editions as well that have been canceled. The pre-orders have been canceled because people don't want to have to wait for that. So there are a bunch online if you guys want to go and pre-order 
um, a first class edition because people cancel them because of this situation. So mm. you just have to do what works best for you. But um, I'm just glad that the game's coming out. It's not pushed back. And we'll see how it goes. Like everything here in Canada as well is closed pretty much except for grocery stores and pharmacies and gas stations. So um, there's some retail stores that are still open, but they have, you know, uh, reduced hours. But I see this yep. continuing on. Like school has been canceled for mm-hmm. another two weeks. So canceled. The schools, school might not even be back in session, right? So, like, yeah. this whole thing, like, I just like that it's coming out because now, like, if I'm off, I'm not, I'm forced to be home, then I'm going to be able to enjoy this game, like, nonstop. And I'm just so excited. It's kind of, yeah. like, a positive to this whole situation, and especially yeah, where it's been so negative, right? It's really important that no matter how how bad or how negative something is some situation is always try to find what's positive and cling to that because mm-hmm. that helps if you just think about oh that's negative oh that sucks oh no this and woe is me and uh, yeah it can be hard but still it's for for your psyche it's bad just try to find something that's positive like now uh, we have time for the remake to play it um at our own speed and leisure because most of us don't have to work. Mm-hmm. I, for my, in my case, I still have to work because I'm a software de- software developer. I still need to go to the company tomorrow. I, but I really hope I can uh, start doing home office uh, starting at uh, Tuesday from Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But even then, um, half of the day is gone. But the rest of the day, I have free, and I don't have to uh, commute there and back. So I save time too, and. I I took days off holiday and or vacation for two weeks when the game comes out, so I'm good anyway. But yeah, so in the end, focus on the positive and you'll be fine. Yeah. Also, for all the those of you who are all on the, on the fence because uh, because of this physical digital stuff, if you can afford it, buy both. It's always good to have both. In case of you're somehow locked out of your PSN account and you cannot, can't access the game, you have the physical that works always. And if you have the physical, but uh, maybe it got, gets shipped one or two weeks too late and you have the digital, you can play it right away. So you're, it's a win-win. If you have the, the money to spend, do this. If not, yeah, just go digital and cancel your pre-order. And, or, or, or just uh, later, at a later date when you have the money again. Mm-hmm. So we did get the back cover of the North America box art that was revealed via Twitter. I think this is legitimate. Just quickly, it's pretty concise and to the point. I do like it. I appreciate it. The simplistic um, design of it, and it just gets right to the point. Um, It says, basically on the bottom, the story of this first standalone game in the Final Fantasy VII Remake project covers up to the party's escape from Midgar and goes deeper into the events occurring in the city than the original Final Fantasy VII. So I really like that. Um, yeah, I just, it just, it annoys me that they do continue to just keep saying that uh, that it goes up to the party's escape from Midgar. Like, I just, I don't think that they need to say that because... You don't know the fan base well enough then, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've heard so many times that, oh, they, uh, it, it says Midgar, but oh, maybe maybe they throw a curveball at us and don't uh, tell us the truth and it goes uh, beyond, like in the original, oh, now the, the world opens up, like with wishful thinking. 
Yeah, but and, they've kind of and, spoiled the end of the game because they're telling us how far it goes. So it's kind of oh yeah, yeah, that's that's true. But they said it's uh, this uh, since E three now, and they probably have to reiterate and reiterate that it goes into every fan uh, fan's mind that oh, it's it's really just Midgar. Deal with it. It's not just more, and we we're not uh, uh, pulling something. It's just Midgore, and it's a full game, two discs, one hundred gigabytes minimum. Uh, we have so many data, so much data, so much crammed into it. Mm -hmm. It's all gonna be fine. That's that's what I hear with every every interview. They just keep reiterating certain points to really make sure and reassure us that it's a full game, and there. Don't worry, it will be good. That's what I get from this. Of course, for uh, for us fans, we know it ends there, and it's, if it gets reiterated and reiterated, we are oh, come on, not again. <laughs> but yeah, I, I understand you. But like looking at the fan base as a whole, and so many people still have the same idea they had when when they first heard the word episodic and didn't really evolve from that. I can't fault them from from reiterating everything again and again and again. Mm -hmm. I guess as well that um, like game news websites are going to be receiving their review copies of the game probably this week coming. Maybe, yeah. It's two Could weeks be. before release. Well, when it hits the 27th on the Friday, so it'll be, I don't know what the NDA is going to be like for reviews. They might mm -hmm. not even come out before the game lands. So I'm sure that we'll be getting more information from from that as well. Um, yeah, like preview, uh, mm -hmm. previews and stuff, video and in text. All right, guys. So I just want to remind everybody that we are giving away a copy of the digital deluxe version of the game to one lucky listener. What you have to do is go and subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating and write a text review on any of the podcast platforms that you use. If you're using a podcast app that does not have a rating system, what you can do is you can head on over to our YouTube channel. You can sub our YouTube channel like any of the videos there and leave a comment. So the draw will happen hopefully on the episode of the week of April 6th. All right, guys. So if you have any ideas for anything that we can cover in our up and coming episodes, you can write us your questions or your suggestions to our email. It's the reunion podcast at gmail.com. The reunion podcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord. So the link for a Discord server is um, it never expires. So it's actually listed in the description of each episode. So if you want, you can just go ahead and click on that and uh, you will be added to our Discord server. We do have a Twitter account, and I'm trying to be more proactive posting on our Twitter account. It's at reunion underscore podcast. We do have a Facebook page as well. It's reunion podcast. And like I said before, we do have a YouTube channel, the reunion podcast, and we'll be posting all of our episodes to our YouTube channel and any special video content that we do in the future. We do have an Instagram account. It's at the reunion podcast. And also, if you want to check out Viz at first and foremost, YouTube channel. It's um, it's called Cosmo Canyon Observatory. Just type that in in the search bar, and I should uh, show up. Or just type in game analysis or something, and it should or Final Fantasy VII remake. And mostly, some some of my videos show up there. Uh, Twitter handle is at cc underscore observatory, and we also have a Discord called Cosmo Canyon Observatory. Uh, in 
the, the link it also never expires there, the invitation link. It is also in each of my videos in the description and also on the YouTube channel itself. One of the links is a Discord link. You can click there and you're invited. And we're really hope that some of you guys hop over there as some other the reunion podcast members have done and mm-hmm. really have a have great conversations there it's pretty cool yeah we do so we're yeah. hoping that you guys can join the community yeah do it <laughs> <laughs> all right guys so thank you so much for joining us again today and thank you to viz to taking the time out to being um here on the podcast with me as well and uh we know it's been a long one there was a lot of stuff to cover so thank you so much for sticking with us to the end i just want to say uh stay safe and stay healthy to everybody and um if you need us we'll be yeah on our discord server so we'll be happy to chat with you guys if you're you know feeling a little uh, secluded or a little lonely there so we're here for you (laughs) (laughs) all right guys have a great one Stay safe and take care. Bye. Bye.